You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Going. Here is a shot into right center field. This ball is back at the wall. He's got another. And the all-time record for home runs in a single postseason with number nine. And the Rays are going to ask for the biggest hit in the life of Brett Phillips. Jansen. That is in the center field. Here comes Kiermaier. Phillips has tied the game. A Rose Arena coming around. Throw home. Now he stumbles. But the ball gets away. Tampa Bay wins it. Brett Phillips, game four hero. Shot comes after you as a left-hander. Here's the runner coming to the plate and tag out and the inning is Margot. Here's a high fly ball into right, absolutely belted. Muncy points at his dugout and will take the trot. Dodgers lead four to two here in the fifth. Tying run at the plate. Trying it. Got him and the Dodgers win game five. Here's Chris Townsend. It has been absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. What a World Series. I mean, you're seeing things you haven't seen in a long, long time. Who says the stolen base is dead? It's not dead. And even a straight steal of home? Like Jackie Robinson back in the day against the New York Yankees? We have a great show for you today. Liam Hendricks. The Fireman of the Year is going to join us at 1.30. Chris Rose will be here at 2 o'clock from MLB Network. Mike Farron, our buddy from the Arizona Diamondbacks and also Major League Baseball XM Channel 89 will be here at 2.30. Dave Wills, the Rays play-by-play voice, will be here at 3. And then Sarah Langs from MLB.com and one of the top researchers in all the game will be here. So it's Hendricks at 1.30, Rose at 2, Farron at 2.30, Wills at 3, and Langs at 3.30. Commander Cody, have you been enjoying this? This World Series has kind of been crazy. The ending the game four was unbelievable. Uh, seeing Brett Phillips come up, a guy that I watched play with the Brewers and the Royals. So I've known who Brett, I knew who Brett Phillips was, but the rest of America probably really didn't. If you didn't watch the Rays or the Royals or the Brewers or any other teams he's played for, uh, him coming up and then him coming through the airplane after the game where they're trying to catch him in the outfield. He has to get an IV put in because he can't slow his, his heart rate down. It, it was just a great story all around that I'm happy that the Rays won that game. And then, well, last night, you know, disappointing because uh, I said Rays in six and, well, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And I also said Clayton Kershaw would get 
rocked in his starts, and boy, he really flipped the narrative on his postseason career, it seems Ooh, like. 30 and two-thirds innings, 37 Ks, five walks, and a 2.93 ERA. Has he changed the narrative of his postseason career? And I can tell you, I like even my kids have been into this World Series, and the whole walk-off, they went nuts, and then the Rays put out – uh, which I do not have a TikTok account, but my kids do. And my kids were showing me that they they put the whole uh, walk-off on TikTok. I mean, it's just, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's been a really good series. And, are the, you know, can the Rays hang on? Do they have the firepower to win this series? Because, unfortunately, the Rays are very similar to the Oakland A's. They hit home runs. They score. They don't hit home runs. They don't score. And that's when you go up against a lineup like the Dodgers. I I mean, I can't even imagine as a pitcher, you look at that lineup and every guy that's coming to the plate can hurt you. And they put the ball in play. And that's something that, you know, we also saw with the Astros. You know, do the Astros hit home runs? Of course they do. But they put the ball in play. These teams that put the ball in play, they put pressure on your defense. And you can be the Rays, and you can trick it up as much as you want. You can have four outfielders. You can have five infielders. But wouldn't you say, Cody, watching this series, the fact that the Dodgers put the ball in play, they've taken the game to the Rays for the most part. And if it wasn't for, you know, you can look at the air in center field, but Max Muncy, once again, you know, when it gets down to fundamentals, if Max Muncy just throws a strike, catcher takes it, now they got a Rosarena in a rundown, and you go to extra innings. But you throw it to the backside of the catcher where he's now got to make a backhand with a catcher's glove, that was that single, the fact that you can't, as the relay guy, can't throw a strike is what cost you that game. But it's the little things. But the fact that the Dodgers continue, they set the tone. They put the ball in play. Wouldn't you say that's the difference in the series so far? Uh, I would guess. And uh, they have a guy named Corey Seager who literally, well, after his last about was before his last about uh, was hitting 500. You had, him traded, wait, you had him traded when? When was he supposed to be traded? He was supposed to be, with the, he was supposed to be with the Cleveland baseball team for uh, Francisco Lindor. That's why I thought he was going to be playing. But he has been unreal for them. Uh, Muncy's been great. That home run he hit last night. I, I know we're talking about small ball, but that home run he hit last night where he just watched it, loved it. Someone had to tweet, go get it out of the Texas Ocean. thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, there's just been so go, much. Go get, it, go, go get it off the farm. Yeah. Uh, go get off Nolan Ryan's beef, uh, his ranch. There's been so much going on in this World Series. It's been so good. And the small ball, you know, I'm not always the biggest guy for small ball, but we've been seeing uh, – Stolen bases, uh, almost a straight steal of home. The last time we saw that successfully happen was in 1955 when Jackie Robinson did it. Again, that was the last time it's happened? Yeah, we saw one. The last one they tried was in, like, the um, – I want to say it was the 80s. And then, like, the, the the last steal of home, successful steal of home, was Brad Fulmer of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, whatever they were called back then, against the Giants. It was a double steal, though, because Scott Spezio is still second. And then there was one against John Smoltz in the 1991 World Series. But from what I read, the last successful straight steal of home 
1955 when Jackie Robinson did it. So it's been a long time since we had seen that happen. Margo almost got in there, he but he he didn't, unfortunately. And I I think Clayton Kershaw hits great. Um, I think that he's is kind of flipping that narrative on his whole postseason career where he can't pitch in the big I, games. I, I wouldn't go great. He was he was he was he was efficient. He, I wouldn't go great. I he, mean, he wasn't dominant. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, how many hits he give up? Like five or six and only what? Five and two thirds. I wouldn't call that great. Um, you know, the uh, one that really gets me is how hittable glass now is. Um, yes. I, I, I mean, for a guy that's throwing a hundred miles an hour and has his kind of stuff, you know, last go around, we, we, we blamed it on, he was tipping his pitches. Now, now what? What do you give four runs in five innings? Guys out there throwing a hundred miles an hour with that big old sling and curveball, and you're getting hit the way he does. He has almost a ten ERA in this World Series, which is shocking to me. Do you want some? Do you want some numbers on him? I'll give you. Let me give you a couple numbers. In twenty-eight and two-thirds innings pitched in the in the playoffs, he's given up twenty earned runs. He has four appearances where he's allowed four more runs. That's the most for any pitcher in postseason history. He's allowed nine home runs. That's the most by a pitcher in a single postseason. He threw three wild pitches last night. That's the most ever by a pitcher in a World Series game. He finished with a 99.5 um, average exit velocity against him, the highest in any outing of his career. And it's the fastest exit velocity against any pitcher in a postseason outing since Stat, uh, StatCast began tracking back in 2015. Uh, he has not been good for them. And, you know, I, I – I always knew about his wildness because he came through the Pirates, and that was one of the things he couldn't locate, and he's very wild, but he threw very hard. And you're starting to see he's still very erratic. He throws hard, and when he's when he's on, he's good, but he has so many outings where he's so up and down that he's not fully figured out the command of the strike zone yet. And once he does, he's going to be much better. But, yeah, he he didn't look good in the first couple innings. Those balls, they were getting off. He, they were just teeing off. Every ball seemed like it was going to go out of the ballpark. You know, I wonder – if the mindset knowing you're not going to be out there for a long time, you know, it's kind of the thing that I've had for with Jesus Lazardo. When you know you're only going to be out there for four or five innings, you're just going to go out there and you're going to try to throw everything as hard as you can, you know, versus a guy who, if you're taking the mound with the mindset that I'm going nine innings, you're going to have to throw strikes. You can't walk people. You can't try and strike everybody out because now your pitch count's going to be a joke, right? I mean, Nolan Ryan could do that, but a lot of guys can't do that. So I'm wondering if the mentality is, okay, yeah, I'm starting the game, but I'm not going to be here in the seventh or eighth inning. So might as well just go out and just try and strike everybody out. And when you do that, if you don't have your best stuff, then you get a little wild. Then you start walking people. I just wonder what the mindset is, and maybe that's something we can address here in the offseason with Scott Emerson. Just the mindset of a pitcher who's not trying to go deep in games, who's not trying to finish the game, who, let's be honest, knows he's not even going to make it probably to even the sixth inning. So what is your mindset then? We, we wanted to teach pitchers through the years to complete the game. This is your game. Go as deep as you can. But now you've essentially, even though you may want to say that, Kevin Cash can say that to Glass now. But Glass now knows 
Am I going to go five? Maybe six at the most? So what is the mindset of somebody who knows he's not going to go deep in a game? I think it changes it. It really changes your mindset when you know that, man, if I have any trouble in the fourth inning, I'm gone. I was watching a lot of that, and I agree with that because a lot of those guys, it seems like every pitcher we've seen go out there in this series has been like that, except for Kershaw, although he only went, what, five and two-thirds last night. And then Walker Bueller, where he went, what, six in game in game three. But other than that, the Rays, the Rays know their starters aren't going to go very deep in the games. Well, Glasson went five last night, gave up the four runs, uh, gave up a lot of home runs. It's just the way that pitching is, and when you can count on your bullpen as much as the Rays have, and they've been they've been lights out. And I think last night showed a little bit too. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think we're maybe starting to see maybe the the transition of Kenley Jansen out as the closer of the Dodgers. Oh, I mean, Trinan came in and he looked like Blake Trinan of the 2018 Oakland A's, where he had a .78 ERA and he was unhittable. Uh, and he just looked great. I mean, he gave up the leadoff single, and you're like, oh, boy, here you go. Then he just – he shut down, and he shoved. And, I mean, just, and the emotion he showed after when he got the last out was great to see because, I mean, from watching Blake and cover – you know, when we watched him and covered him, he wasn't only – he didn't really show a lot of emotion, but last night he showed it, and he got a big big save for the Dodgers. And I think Kenley Jansen's towards the end, but I think everyone notices that. But I think the – this might be the subtle transition into either Trinan or Gratterall becoming the next closer of the Dodgers. But they need they need I think going into game six tomorrow night, the Rays need Blake Snell to step up and be the guy that won the Cy Young for them two years ago, winning twenty one games with an e- a good ERA, a lot of strikeouts. He looked good in his last start. He had the nine strikeouts. I remember I told you he joined only uh some Kofax guys, the only guys that have that many strikeouts and no hits through four innings. He, uh, he needs to be that guy because Gonsolin's going, and you know it's going to be a bullpen game for the Dodgers. So is it a little too soon to say that game six is a must-win for the Tampa Bay Rays? Got <laughs> to throw it out there because you know the people are talking wow, about that. Hot take, you're down 3-2 in a best of seven. <laughs> are you saying game six is a must-win? I don't know. What happens if they don't win? I don't know. I think, it, I think game six might be the biggest game of the season for the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, what happens if they don't win game six? Well, they go home. and the, Do- oh, okay. and the, and the I guess it is the must win. Yeah, and the Dodgers go home. And back to Kershaw for a second. I they, I saw his stats for the, the postseason. He's actually – I mean, here's his numbers. 30 and two-thirds inning, uh, 293 ERA, 37 strikeouts, and only five walks. And he's now the all-time leader in postseason strikeouts after he passed your guy, Justin Verlander, last night. So Kershaw is starting to set some records, and he's looking a lot better, but – I know we're never going to get a, a, a consensus on him flipping that narrative for his uh, postseason re- uh, track record. Well, I got to tell you, uh, all these records. I know we got to bring it up. It's 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 like, listen, they're playing more games than anybody's ever played before. So, is what Randy Rosarena doing? Is it great? Yes, but um, I mean, the reality is. You're playing in so many more games. You have so many more rounds. So it kind of like when Fox is like, oh, another record. You're kind of like, oh, okay. And, by the way, you're playing probably with the most juice ball in the history of baseball. Yeah. That... I'm like, do I really think Randy Rosarena's Ted Williams? You, you should. 
I mean, is he really is he that good? He's getting is there. He, is he an all-time great? I mean, I, do I have to start getting a, a plaque ready in Cooperstown for Randy Rain already? I mean, this isn't a small sample size. He's doing this in the biggest stage of, of baseball in the postseason. But I do think people are getting a little ahead of themselves with how good he – I think he's going to be a very solid player going forward for them, and I'm happy that he's having the postseason he's having. The juice ball thing you mentioned – uh, here's a here's a number that can back that that theory up. The Dodgers now have nine different guys that have hit a home run for them in the World Series. They broke a tie with the 1989 Oakland A's, and the A's only played in the ALCS and then the World Series. So, juice baseball, different players. I mean, we see all these different guys. I mean, that's it's just cre- in- incredible to see. Jock Peterson comes off, you know, a guy that barely plays anymore for the Dodgers, and he hits a ball that I don't think it's landed yet last night for the for the Dodgers and. I mean, those ball. Remember, Texas was supposed to be a pitcher's ballpark, and some of the, that ball that he hit and the ball that Muncie hit, um, as David Forrest would say, "Team go a ball go far, team go far." That that showed last night that uh, there's something maybe still going on with that baseball. How far those balls travel at that ballpark? Well, the difference. You know what the difference between these teams now and the 1989 Oakland A's? Do you know the difference? Well, there's a lot of things, but I know yours is going to be different than what I have to say. Well, I'm just curious. What what do you think the difference is between the Dodgers and today versus the 1989 Oakland Athletics? Well, one, they don't live to just hit a home run. The A's didn't live to do that. That wasn't what they were looking for all the time. For me, there's so many things that are different, but I, I'm curious to see what yours is. Uh, balls juiced in today's baseball. Back then, the Oakland A's were juiced as a team. <laughs> so there was juicing going on. It's just... One's in the baseball versus the human body. That's the difference between the Oakland A's and where baseball is today. There's juicing going on. It's just different. But, you know, if the Dodgers win, I'm telling you, we've said this all along. This is going to be a historic win. We're going to look back, and especially a few years from now, when, you know, hopefully COVID gone, more research, more science, more uh, a better grasp of the whole situation. I think we're really going to look back and go, "Wow, this was this was an incredible run." The fact that we got through it, the fact that we kept baseball healthy for the most part, the fact that these teams had to go through so much to get where they are. I mean, you're talking about the Los Angeles Dodgers, or if the Rays come back winning a World Series in Texas in a bubble. As Dave Wills is going to tell us as he's with the team, you know, which is even, you know, our worlds are so different. You know, San Jose State, what a big win for Sparty on Saturday night. No fans in the stands. There's no fans at Niner games. We're looking at fans in Texas. And we'll talk to Dave Wills about that. Like, what was – I mean, you, the Rays were in San Diego. No fans. Total bubble, lockdown. Then they got to go to Texas. Now there's fans in the stands. I mean, just the oddity of everything. Whether the Dodgers prevail or the Rays prevail. You're going to look at the, the, whoever it is, and I, and, and I think it is fitting that we get the two number one seeds. So it's not like, oh, see how this tournament thing works, and it doesn't, you know, you you got a team that was not very good who just got, no, you have the two best teams. You got a number one seed 
versus a number one seed. The American League East was tough. The National League West and playing all the teams in the West for the Dodgers wasn't easy. Whoever ends up winning this thing, we're going to look at as a great champion. Because they've had to go through far more than any other team. We could go back and go, yeah, back in the day they rode trains. Yeah, they had wool uniforms and it was super hot. You know, they weren't flying charter. You know what? Those guys had it way easier than what these guys. These guys have played the worst season that we've ever had in Major League Baseball. I don't think anybody's going to deny that. You're playing through a pandemic. A lot of these guys haven't seen family. They haven't seen their parents. They haven't seen their wives. Just to let you know, Dave Wills, we taped him uh, earlier today in Arlington. And there's a bunch of guys for the Rays that their family stayed back in Florida. So they haven't seen wives, girlfriends. They haven't seen anybody, a lot of these players, for weeks. How often does that happen in your life? I think the longest I've been gone from my children has been the two trips we've done to Japan, where we're there like nine, ten days. Maybe the one trip, well, we weren't there with the Raiders, I went to London. I think we were only gone for like five days. Yeah, I think the longest trip I've ever been away from my kids is when we've gone over to Tokyo. What about this past uh, – what about when we went to Vegas and then Arizona? We were, You were there. You went from Vegas on Friday through Sunday. So that was what? That was nine days too. Yeah, that was, a, yeah, that was actually a long trip. You know what, though? I had just been on a long trip with them, so I guess that's why I didn't have, I, I needed some time away. Yeah, but that probably – yeah, that's about the same. These guys have been gone for three weeks. Most of us will never go a month without seeing our family, our loved ones, our wives, girlfriends, husbands, kids, family. That's a long time. So, once again, I think whoever ends up prevailing, I'm going to look at as a great World Series champion. And the fact that we got through it, we made it through it. When everybody was panicking, full-on panic mode. Remember when the Marlins started getting it? They had just beaten Philadelphia. They're still in Philly. I mean, they kept them in Philly. They made them come back from Philly on buses. The sport's going down. We've made it through. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. How about Liam Hendricks? He's going to be joining us next. Liam is down in Florida, but Liam is your American League Reliever of the Year, which is now known as the Mariano Rivera Award. Had a 1.78 ERA in 24 appearances, 25 and a third innings. And if you look at what he did, and we and we talked about it, that this is the year of the reliever. Now, Bieber, don't call me Justin, Shane Bieber, is going to be your American League Cy Young Award winner. But I think there is no question that Liam Hendricks is going to get votes. I don't know if he finishes second. I think he'll definitely be top five. You know, when you're when you're when you're coming in and closing it, you're closing all these games in a 60 game schedule. 
I mean, it makes you so important. I didn't think he'd have any competition, did you? No, um, the, I think the National League was a little more, a little more, uh, more difficult to navigate through when come, when you're looking at this award. Devin Williams and the Brewers end up winning it. He was unreal, but so was Josh Hader. So you got two teammates, but Liam was far and behold the uh, the best reliever in the American League. He gave up the home run on opening night, and he gave up one what the rest of the season. I don't believe. Um, so he was he was uh, lights out. He. Came, you knew when he came in for a while. They, what they what was the record overall when he ended up pitching like twenty three and one, I think. What it, for a while they were, the A's were undefeated when Liam pitched in a game, non save or non save situation. The A's were undefeated. Then he had the three out the three inning save. Like he just he changed the way people look at uh, the way people look at the closer position this year because you know when it, where you're seeing guys come in high leverage situations like the Rays do with different spots in the uh, in the in the order in the in the inning. Liam was the guy that came in for multiple, you know, three or more outs saves. So, uh, kudos to him for winning the award. He, you know, we all we know how hard he worked to get there. And you mentioned all the time from being a guy that was DFA to starting a a playoff game to being on the front of the media guide and an All Star. Now he's the Mariano Rivera American League reliever of the year. So, congratulations to him because you know from being a guy that was a starter to what he is now, it's been an incredible ride for him. Can't say it enough. From DFA'd to I'm holding it in my hand. The media guide is where you put your best players. So on this year's A's media guide, you got Matt Chapman, Marcus Simeon, Matt Olson, and Liam Hendricks. If you would have told me a couple years ago when the A's DFA'd Liam Hendricks and nobody cared. Where, was that on ESPN.com or MLB.com or, you know, whatever website you go to for your baseball news? Roto World? For, for, you know, if you do fantasy, do you think anybody knew Liam Hendricks was DFA'd by the A's? No. Anybody? No. Do you think that was a transaction that, like, anybody covered that? To now he's going to get a big payday? And he's the reliever of the year in the American League. I mean, the story turnaround is unbelievable. And he'll join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. And here he is, Liam Hendricks, the big winner. And congratulations, obviously, what a season it was for you, and to close out with that kind of award, pretty cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. Obviously, uh, I came close last year, and that was one of the things that my wife and I had sat down there. I was like, look, we got to make sure that we improve on last year. There's a chance to do something pretty special, and uh, I was just happy to be given the opportunity. You know, you knew, because we talked, you know, before the whole restart, that in a 60-game schedule, that you were going to play a really big part. What was that like, that mind frame going in where, you knew in 60 games, I'm going to get into a lot of games? Yeah, I mean, it was – it plays into my mindset. I just want to play. Like, I want to pitch. I want to come to – I want to be in every game. I want to do as much as I can. So, they kind of play it up to that point of view. But, um, yeah, it was definitely yeah, – it was definitely different with the 60 games and then not that many days off. So, all of a sudden, you're not sure how you're going to be used because 
do you want to use a guy three days in a row? Do you want to use a guy three days in a row and then have to not be able to use him for two after that? It's just, I mean, the hats off to the management and staff and doing from whatever they did. And it's just, it's impressive to the fact that we were able to do what we did this 60 games. You know, we, we, we've talked about this before, but it is truly amazing. Your story about how you're DFA'd, you go back down and you kind of just say, I'm going to do it my way. And not only do you come back, you come back huge. You start a wild card game. Next, you know, you're an all-star. Now you're on, as we joke, you're on the front of the media guide. And now you're the American League reliever of the year. Just talk about your journey. What a wild ride it's been. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a long and winding path, to say the least. Um, obviously, it's uh, every there's, there's two ways of looking at it. With a step back, like what I did when I got DFA'd, you can look at it and be like, well, man, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Everybody hates me. I don't know how I can get past this. Or you look at it and be like, okay, let me go back into myself and get back to where I need to be, where, get back to where I should be, and let's prove to everybody what, what I'm all about. And that's what uh, I was able to accomplish the last couple of years. But obviously, this is, uh, it's, still a, it's still a novel that's being written. Um, we're still working as hard as we can to try and improve this career and, that I've got and, uh, and then do right by Australian baseball. You know, and you think about the mentality of what it is to close out games – where do you think you got that mentality? Because let's face it, you had the mentality of a starter, not a reliever. When did that when did that script flip for you? Uh, I mean, the script flipped for me. I mean, in 2015 was the first time I really pitched with any sort of emotion, any sort of kind of anger or kind of uh, any sort of aggression with it that way. But, I mean, obviously 2019 was a special year for me where I was able to pitch with it a little bit more. 2018, even in AAA, like I started getting a little bit more emotional on the mound, which I'd always tempered a little bit because sometimes I'd get ahead of myself. I'd get too amped up and, and not be able to control the ball. But once I kind of fully opened up and I think 2018 was the first time I really let it fly. And I mean, as you can see by a lot of the games I finished, I tend to scream a little bit afterwards or scream in big parts of it. And it's just uh, part and parts the way I did. But I think the game's getting more emotional the game's getting less stoic and people are allowed to show their true colors a little bit more, which plays right into my, uh, my wheelhouse. Yeah. We really didn't know that notice that much uh, emotion, you know, with no fans in the stands and the crowd, mic picking up everything people were saying, we really didn't notice you at all. Yeah. I mean, you can barely make anything out. I'm mean, just uh, hey, the good thing. You didn't need that bleeping button at all or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what though? I mean, I think it's great. I think it's great that you guys are now just, you know, Go out and do it the way that makes you you, right? I mean, so many times, as you said, you're worried about what everybody thought. Now it's like guys are able to be themselves, and you play better when you feel better. Yeah, I mean, you hit a big home run. You get a big strikeout. You make a good defensive play. There's emotions that go into that. You can't just be like, okay, yeah, like I knew that was going to happen. I expected that. No, you go and show what what got you to that point. Like there's certain plays that you make a diving play in the outfield. You're going to be excited. Get up, pump your fist, and scream a little bit. You make a big strikeout. Do what you need to do to kind of let everybody know that that's what you that's what you're doing. If you hit a big home run, sit there and stare at it for a little bit. Throw your bat up. Throw your bat. No matter what you do. I mean, we're getting to the day and age where there's that's not disrespectful to the players anymore. But it's just as long as everybody's on that same path where you don't you can bat flip whatever you want. But don't get mad at me if I start to scream at you when I strike you out. It's just it's it goes back and forth, but. We're getting to that day and age now. It's, it's let the kids play. Let the kids play. Let, let's show some emotion. Let everybody out there know that we're not just going through the motions out there. We're actually got some pride. We've got some passion for this game, and that's what we're trying to prove. 
you know, when you, you, you think about your postseason and you threw so many pitches and you took the ball whenever Bob Melvin uh, needed you, how you feeling right now? Well, the two weeks after the, the season finishes are always the worst. That's when everything hurts the most. That's when everything tightens back up. That's when everything kind of goes through it. I'm um, going to start throwing here shortly to get back into it just so I don't have too long off before it gets back in, gets back going. But, yeah, these are usually the days where the hamstrings start tightening up. You're just sitting on the couch and all of a sudden everything just starts hurting. Um, so it's good. It, this, this is the fun time where I just sit on the couch, I'm reading a book, and then all of a sudden I've got zinging pains throughout my entire body. So that's fun. That's what you want. <laughs> so when will you start throwing again? Uh, probably in the next couple of days. Um, start light, just 60 feet, 90 feet, and then uh, reach it back. And then probably usually start throwing uh, bullpens like the first week of December or so. That way I can get out there. And, and then I have a full month of bullpens. And I get a couple of live BPs in before I head off to spring training in early February, whenever, well, whenever that's going to start. You know, it's always so interesting. Spring training used to be about people just trying to get in shape. I mean, you guys come in ready to go. And I think that's a real big difference of what baseball used to be to, to where it is now. I mean, you start talking about you're throwing bullpens well over a month before you even show up to Mesa. Yeah, my, for me, it's um, I prefer to get ready early and then be able to kind of work out my like timeline to get ready for the season. But I don't want to ever be like okay, two, two outings away from the season starting and me not quite feeling right. Like I want to go into the season feeling 100% no matter what. And that, for me, just means I'm going to be, hopefully by game four of spring training, four or five, I am locked in, ready to go, and then I can taper it off and kind of manage my workload to make sure I'm ready for opening day. Have you been watching the World Series? Of course. I, uh, I texted Blake last night after he gave a little scream on the mound and said, finally, you're showing it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looked dynamite last night. Uh, he was nails last night. I mean, so the last two nights I texted him and then I text Brett Phillips, who I, I know from a Christian group. And I mean, it's, it's it's always fun when you see guys, especially that you've played with or you didn't know on a personal level that are doing some special things. So I'm just I'm excited to watch the series, obviously get a little day off tonight so I don't have to watch anything tonight. So I can actually go to bed before midnight because I'm on the East Coast. So that's going to be good. I need some sleep. I'm getting exhausted. Oh, I, I, you know, I, we, we don't even think about that because for us, it's like, well, it's a four hour game. I, God, if you're on the East Coast, yeah, that's late. Yeah, it's been getting late. And then by the time I, because I refuse to shower before the game, just because I know that, like, so I shower after the game before I get into bed. And by the time I do that, it's one o'clock as I'm getting into bed and my wife's pissed. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, these, I mean, I, I, I understand the style of play. Can, can we get to a point where you can tell your teammates, hey, guys, can we speed this up a little bit? I mean, we don't need to be playing four-hour games. Let's be honest. Well, that's the thing. When you're on the mound, you don't realize how much time you're taking. Like, there was a couple games this year where I was taking my uh, taking a long time in between pitches. I get home that night, and my wife's like, what What was going on? Like, why were you taking so long in between pitches? You know, I didn't think it was that bad. I watched the game like, oh, crap, I was taking 30 seconds in between a pitch. And obviously, that's the reason I didn't feel great. Because when I'm rolling, I get the ball, I get back on the mound, I go again. I get it's just rapid fire. But when it's um, yeah, when you uh, when you take your time, you, you start thinking too much. And anytime anybody thinks too much, it's never a good thing. You know what? I I, I, I you hit the nail on the head because because we've been trying to say, well, is it the rule changes? I'm like, no, it's not going to be the rule changes. It's the players need to speed up. And that speaks to it if you're like a guy 
that, that that's up at the plate and you feel comfortable by stepping out and adjusting your batting gloves and you feel comfortable taking the, I mean, that's that unfortunately guys are not worried about the time of the game. And wouldn't you say that's the reason why the game is longer? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of that. I mean, and you also look at the differences in postseason baseball to regular season baseball. The postseason, the uh, the commercial breaks are all timed about a minute and a half longer. So, like, when I'm running into a game during the regular season, I've got two minutes and five seconds to be ready. Now it's up to three, three and a half minutes because of the commercial breaks. So if I'm going through my normal pre-inning routine, like the first game against the White Sox, I got done with a minute and a half left. Because I'm like, okay, like I need to go through it, go through it, and then all of a sudden I'm done. And the guys like, yeah, we have to make, we have to wait a minute and a half. I'm like, what do you, what? Like, why we, why would we start changing everything right now? Like, let's good, let, let, just change everything, just everything. Like, and that's just what it is. But the thing is, is when uh, everybody's riding on a singular pitch or singular at bat or anything like that, there's a lot more that goes into it. And everybody makes sure there's no, there's no pitches off. You want to make sure that you're prepared to know what's going on at all, all, all times. And sometimes it just takes a little bit longer. You know, you're a you're a great guy to ask this. You know, uh, a lot of people will be like, "Oh, look at the Rays; they bring in their best reliever in the fifth inning or the sixth inning." But the problem with that, as a reliever, is you're not getting certain numbers that are going to help you when you go to like free agency, like yourself, or arbitration. So, what is that like as a reliever? That mentality going, "Yeah, I know you're bringing me here in the fifth, but how am I going to monetize that?" Yeah, for free agency, I don't think it matters as much because teams see the value of what you're able to do in any certain situation. I think that kind of being a little bit more malleable is good. Uh, through arbitration, though, definitely adjusts the scope because they're counting stats. So it's all – the leverage index definitely helps, but the biggest thing that pays in arbitration for a reliever especially is saves and holds, and then it goes to strikeouts and innings and stuff like that. But – the leverage index is up there, but it's definitely not as inclusive. If you're, if you're the best guy in the bullpen or you're their kind of closer guy, you want to be closing games because that's going to be the accounting stats. It's going to get you a little bit more money throughout. But in saying that, the postseason doesn't matter. The postseason, like, stats don't matter in the postseason. They don't go towards arbitration. They can play in for free agency, but purely based on the fact of depending on how teams value it. But, yeah, for postseason, like, I don't care what inning you throw me in. I don't care if I start the game. As long as we win the game, I couldn't care less what you do with me. When you look back, what was that White Sox series like for you? Um, it was frustrating and exhilarating and redemptive all at the same time. Obviously, the first game was exhausting. I wasn't – I went through the same thing my first, first game of the season where I was kind of putting too much pressure on myself, making sure that I was doing everything in the right way, which just isn't the way I play. The next outing, I went out there. I was like, look, my stuff's good enough. I can get by these guys. Let's just do what I do. And then after that, I was all right. But, the um, yeah, the White Sox series was tiring. Obviously, 12 o'clock games is never fun. The Oakland, uh, the Oakland Sun was out for those three games, so it was hot as anything. The mound gets extremely hard after nine innings of baseball. So there's a lot that goes into it. But, obviously, the biggest thing for us was the fact that we won the series and that you'll go through everything to win that series. Yeah, you guys were just you – you're like the old-school Chicago Cubs. You were playing day games every day. Yeah, I mean, we had what – on our schedule before we got the um, kind of uh, middle-season middle, middle season all-star break, we had 31 day games throughout the course of the season. We had more than half the day games for even the 60-game season. So we were prepared for the day games. But it's just – it's day games are never fun. I don't like day games. I have to wake up too early. I'm the, like, I drink enough coffee to, to kill a horse, but – 
Like I just don't know. <laughs> Waking me up that early is not good. Now it was uh, it wasn't easy, and, and, and I, I think about how much your wife plays into your game and how the way that the two of you go through it. And I like it. Sometimes she's like, suck it up, buttercup, go out and get some outs. You know, talk yeah. about the role your, your wife plays in your game. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today without her. Uh, she is one of those forces of nature that is able to whip you down to shreds when you need it and then lift you up and be the wind beneath your wings when you need it as well. So as she's yelling at our cats in the background, so, uh, <laughs> but she also told me to, uh, to give a shout out to the sweet life group. They were the ones with the shakers out in center field, yelling and screaming that you could have probably heard on the, uh, the, uh, game when, when we're playing the white Sox. So uh, they were out there cheering their damnedest on and, uh, the hats off to all the wives that are out there. But yeah, she's definitely the, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today without her, without her reinforcement of when I'm struggling or when I'm doing well, keeping me back down to earth and not being such an egotistical prick to put it lightly. Well, there you go. Uh, (laughs) Hey, what do you think it is like for the Rays where they were in their bubble in San Diego and then they got to move their bubble to Arlington and now there's fans. There's like, you know, cause you guys didn't play in front of fans to where the Dodgers They've been in our. They've been in Arlington for weeks. Same hotel, same clubhouse. What do you think that transition's been like for the Rays? Um, for me personally, it would be a little bit more normal, just because you're used to being three days here, five days there, whatever it is. A month in the same place, it's got to be weird at some point. I mean, yes, you're getting the brand new stadiums, home clubhouse for the Dodgers. You're getting put up in a nice hotel where you don't have to worry about changing and doing all that. But in the same sense, it's it's almost normal. Like I'd prefer to be in the one like with the AL this year where you're going back and forth at all times because it just makes it a little bit more continuous from the from the regular season. It makes it a little bit more real. But um, the biggest thing that's going to be different for the Rays is they didn't get a chance to play in this stadium before the game started. The Dodgers played there throughout the course of the regular season. And and um, so the uh, I think that's just going to be the biggest difference is going into a brand new stadium. The fans are going to have a little bit of a thing, but same sense is you're going to use that as an exhilaration and, and kind of use that kind of emotional a little bit. If you can control your emotions, that's when you're going to uh, do well. Actually, one of my friends is actually – I grew up playing with him. He was actually at game four the other night, and he said it was absolutely amazing. Really? Yeah, he had an absolute – he was up in the left-field bleachers. His name's Jason Fish, but up in the left-field bleachers um, looking over it. I texted him, and then um, he was actually there when they announced the reliever of the year thing and then put TJ McFarlane's face on it. So that was fun. <laughs> so, just yeah, part of the course, right? I mean, I've already got people calling me TJ now down here in Florida. So, I mean, you got to keep it lighthearted for sure. It got, was- it got it got remedied after that. Don't worry, they figured it out and they fixed it. But <laughs> that's crazy. How is Florida doing? Uh, well, it's about ninety-five and raining right now, so it's about normal. Wow, because you guys aren't really on. You're you're not on lockdown the way we are. No, no, everything's relatively open, but in saying that, a lot of the businesses still have uh, mandated mask policies when you go to like a Publix or a grocery store and things like that. There's still all those things in there. So we have been trying to stay at home as much as we can just because of everything that goes on. Like, I don't want to start getting kind of just back into normal life when things aren't supposed to be normal yet. We're supposed to be still focusing on making sure that everyone around us remains safe. 
the good thing is we're in a gated community where everything's pretty locked, especially our street. Our street has been a very locked down street. Like our neighbors uh, were from Denver and they've been doing it the entire time, wearing masks and everything like that. So it's just, it makes it a little bit easier when these surrounding houses around you are taking it seriously just to get involved. So if we have to go through something similar next season, like how many games is really the right amount? If you can't play 162, what do you think is really the right amount? Uh, I mean, if we're not going to be able to play 162, I'd go 161. Um, <laughs> obviously, I want to play a full season. I want to make I want to make sure that no matter what happens, we can play a full season. I think we've got the hindsight now of what, what worked this year yeah. and what we can do next year. If you throw that in there, um, I think with the, the success of the kind of baseball realm, like even there's a couple of cases that didn't lead to anything else, which meant the protocols that were in place were doing a good job. Um, I think in this day and age where players aren't taking commercial flights or doing that, I think that eased a lot of tensions. But I feel like even if it's still doing the rounds next year, we have a we have a heads up of the way we can approach it. And that may we don't have to may not have to change as long as the government ordinance government audience audiences uh, ordinances. Government ordinances. Oh, my teeth are getting in the way. But as long as they're not kind of uh, not letting us play in certain stadiums or certain cities or anything like that, I think we should be able to get 162 and no matter what. It's just about the realm of making it work. But spring training is obviously going to be one of the bigger issues because it's in Florida and Arizona, two of the biggest uh, hard-hit states, and two of the states that didn't really follow the guidelines set forth by the CDC originally. So if we can get through spring training, I think we're going to be all right for a 162-game season. Well, you had a hell of a year, and you know how much we love you on this show for everything that you do on the field and everything you and your wife do off the field. As you once said, you want to make this place better before you leave it, and uh, you've definitely done that for the Oakland Athletics and our fan base. So be well, be safe. Congratulations on the award. It was well-deserved. I appreciate it, Tony. Thanks for having me, all right? All right, buddy. Take care. All right. Have a good one, mate. Liam Hendricks, the great closer for your Oakland Athletics. And, you know, he's going to get paid, whether he's getting paid by the A's or somewhere else. But, you know, the one thing that I can I can tell you, and, Cody, you've gotten to see this, is that even when guys leave, they'll always come back in some way. And they always remember their time with the A's as very, very special. And they always don't ever have a program have a problem coming on the program. You know, whether it's been Sean Doolittle or Kurt Suzuki or you know, just down the line. You know, Frank Thomas, the Hall of Famer, we've had him on. They always talk about what a great time it was. They always look forward to coming on. That's, you know, that's I think that's the difference. Like sometimes guys, oh, I got to go on. Josh Reddick came out. It was Reddick. It was Coco. We were we were doing our show. Reddick stayed there like for a half hour. And it's because guys really enjoy their time here. When it's all said and done, Tim Hudson, Barry Zito, you know, they enjoyed their time. And they always are very gracious giving us their time. So I don't know what, what's going to happen with Liam Hendricks. I know this, Cody, he's going to get paid. He's going to be valuable to wherever he goes, and we hope he stays in Oakland because we built that relationship with him where, you know, he's literally the best friend of this show. Uh, he comes on more than anybody, and he wants to do it. I mean, as you saw the last few times we had him on, we had him on via video. He was just he, he likes to, to do the interaction with us, and it's great. And 
after the year he had this year and being a uh, you know being a lockdown closer for the A's and you know he's going to be very highly sought after, especially how we're seeing how bullpens are being used and the high leverage situations that we went over forever last week where we're talking about Raleigh and everything and. Uh, I, I think Liam could be a guy that they could be used in multiple different roles next year for wherever he is if it's not in Oakland. He could be the closer. He could be the seventh-inning guy, sixth-inning guy, fifth-inning guy. He wants a pitch wherever he he's needed, and, and that's a good mindset to have, and we're seeing that with Nick Anderson. And Although he struggled. When people were like, Nick Anderson's the best pit, he was. some people thought, like it was Mike, our good friend Mike Petrell thought that Nick Anderson was the best uh, reliever this year in baseball. Anderson was really good, but he's struggled a lot in the World Series and in the postseason where Liam looked as good as he's looked all year. So I just – I know he's going to get paid, and he deserves it because the story is incredible, and I'm just hoping he stays here in Oakland because he's a great guy to have close out the games in the ninth inning. And that whole issue about being a reliever and when you get used, and that's why I, I had to ask him because, you know – you hear people applauding. Oh, look at the Rays are bringing their best guy in in the fifth inning and high leverage. Well, how's he going to get paid? How are you going to get paid? You know, as the game changes, players still got to get paid. They still need to get a, you know, a, a, a certain percent of the pie. And that's why, you know, I wonder, I wonder how many people in baseball really I mean, baseball people, not fans. People actually in the game of baseball are really rooting for the Rays. And is it good for the Rays to win? Because basically, you're, you're, and Chris Rose is going to talk about that coming up. It's got to be like, hey, we won and we're super cheap. Yay. Is that really what's great for the sport? The super cheap guys winning? I mean, I mean, Look how much more money we, the A's, spend on payroll than the Rays. Our payroll was, what, like $80 million this yeah, year? Yeah, somewhere around there where the Rays were like, um, uh, pro-rated, it was like $28 million or something. It was like 28th in baseball. <laughs> Behind only the, only the Orioles and Pirates had a lower payroll. Like Altuve makes more money than all of them combined or something like that, whatever we talked about in the last series. That's even crazy yeah. in itself, too, because remember back then, Altuve played for a Nationals team that – there was guys who were making more money than anybody on the Astros, so it's how funny how that narrative flipped in a couple of years. Yeah, so I wonder how many people in the game are really going, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a good story, but do we really want the super cheap guys to win? Is that what's good for the sport? I think the Rays are done, technically. I mean, I had it in five, probably now in six. It's It's going to be very tough to beat the – you know, on a neutral site, which actually there's, you know, more. Let's just be honest. There's far more Dodger fans in Arlington than there are Rays fans. That's a fact. I don't I can't remember. And it, it, maybe it's just me being more facetious than anything. But I don't really remember seeing a Rays fan being showed on television. There were Do there were Dodger fans last night when they got out of the inning. I forget who, who, who got it. I think it was Dustin May might have got out of the inning or Victor Gonzalez. The guy was doing the DX chop. After the end, like, like that, that was also just a great screen grab for people to watch wrestling back in the day. But you're showing a lot of Dodger fans and fans excited, but I didn't really see a lot of race fans there. And I mean, Tampa and, and, and Texas aren't that far apart, but it's just crazy. It shows how many people travel for the Dodgers. And 
I think a lot of people are rooting for the Dodgers. Probably not in the Bay Area. You probably got a lot more Rays fans than anything, or just Giants fans who hate the Dodgers rooting for the the Rays. Where me, I'm rooting for the Rays because I like the Rays. Kevin Cash is a good friend, so I want the Rays to win the World Series. <laughs> Plus, I you know it, it's good to see some of those guys that are on that team you know be validated. Like 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 Liam said, how they had the whole thing with T.J. McFarlane when they announced the AL Reliever of the Year award. That's like what happened with Peter Fairbanks when they messed up his name and they messed up uh, Blake Snell and called him Ian Snell. Like, these teams that are playing in small markets are not getting the recognition they deserve and the players aren't happy about it. And rightfully they shouldn't be because Liam won the, the, the Reliever of the Year award and that happened. It's not like he won like a, you know, a smaller award or something. He won Reliever of the Year. I know I get it. People are probably mad because it wasn't a role as Chapman somewhere in New York, but... I'm glad the Rays, you know, you know, Peter Fairbanks came on and said, you know, stuff about that. And then Liam, you know, made a joke about it. So, like, he's, you know, he takes it in stride. So, it's good to see. But I, I get where you're coming from. You think that a lot of people probably aren't rooting for – how many people really want to see the Rays win? Aside from myself growing up watching small market team every day of my life for the last 31 years. Yeah, but you you enjoyed Pittsburgh having name guys. I mean, these a lot of these guys are nameless, faceless. I know that's kind of harsh to say, but I think it was Ken Rosenthal last year just said, oh, yeah, you look at this team, it's just everybody's 6'5", and everybody looks the same, and everybody throws the same, and this is what they do. Is that exciting and good for baseball? I don't know. That's why I wonder, like, how many people are really if, – if, if you're not a Rays fan – or Rays hater, if you're not a Dodgers fan or a Dodgers hater, like, what does baseball really want? What's the outcome they want? Is it really good for baseball? Because I, I honestly don't think if there was 30 teams that operate like the Rays, I don't think that would be good for the game. Well, especially for players, because if you're operating that way, then players aren't getting paid what they should be getting paid. But the Rays are also doing it in a completely different way. You could take if you take away the small payroll, they're also doing it with th- essentially three starting pitchers in a bullpen. Where the Dodgers, well, the Dodgers are kind of starting to go that way too. But we, we're seeing more baseball doing that. But the Dodgers also have a great farm system where the Rays get a lot of their guys from trade. So two different variables on you know ends of the spectrum on how they do that. Where the Dodgers are building up guys like a Corey Seager, a Cody Bellinger. Um, Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Will Smith. Who's the biggest, like, some of the bigger name guys for the Rays? Like, Mike, uh, Michael Brusso. He was an undrafted player. He wasn't even drafted. And he's stepping up big. And Randy Rosarino is a trade guy. And Ryan Thompson, who pitched the last couple games, is a Rule 5 guy from the Astros. Like, these are guys that are developing in their farm system. They're developing them after they get them from trades or undrafted players or from Rule 5. The Dodgers are more built like you think the Rays would be. That's the crazy thing about this World Series, is that you would think the Dodgers were the team that went out and just spent money and got players from other places. Now, the Dodgers have far more homegrown players. They've done more through the draft. Half of the Rays' lineup is based off trades. So it's like the Rays are built more like you think the Dodgers would be, and the Dodgers are built more like you think the Rays would be. I think that's one thing a lot of people aren't talking that much about with this series because you just think L.A., Market 2, a lot of money. They've built the, – the, the, 
you know, the majority of their core, they have built through their farm system. Our old friend Ned Coletti helped build it. Yeah, he got to what, Kershaw. Yeah, to where they are now. Their main guys are, are, are guys that they've brought up. Their core is homegrown. Well, think about it this way, too, which is crazy. We, we go through the Dodgers pitchers, Kershaw and Bueller and Dustin May and Gonsolin. And, yeah, they don't have David Price because he opted out, but he'd be the one guy that, that, that was a bigger name guy that, well, they they traded for him. The Rays, well, the Rays have uh, Blake Snow, who they drafted and developed. They have Tyler Glassman, who they traded for, and Charlie Morton, who they signed as a free agent. Think about this. Charlie Morton is the biggest free agent pitcher on either staff that was signed in the last couple of years, and he pitches for the Rays. Dodgers aren't using a guy they picked up to sign that they paid $15 million. So that's the Rays that are doing that. So the one time the Rays took a chance on a free agent, he actually is paying off really well for them. But you're right. More people aren't talking about how the Dodgers are built, more how you think the Rays will be. Like, it's it's um, Kiermaier and Brandon Lau are the only, like, homegrown guys they drafted that are in the Rays starting lineup every day. No matter what, it's been a good series. Coming up next, Chris Rose from MLB Network and the NFL Network will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Alameda County voters, cast your ballot at the Oakland Coliseum Vote Center Saturday, October 31st through Tuesday, November 3rd. You can vote in person, from your car, or drop off your mail-in ballot. For more information, visit athletics.com slash vote. That's athletics.com slash vote. That's what? Athletics.com slash vote. Chris Rose. And by the way, it was great to have the commissioner on again. Front of the program. And and he said it. The virus will dictate how this offseason goes. Going to be really, really interesting. Chris Rose is a host of Intentional Talk on MLB on MLB Network. Also does a great job. Uh, on the NFL Network, and he stopped by A's Cast Live earlier today. Well, it's a very interesting time, Chris, and the way this World Series is going, it's been very, very exciting, and the L.A. Dodgers up 3-2 have a chance to put it away tonight in Arlington. Well, yeah, I mean, do they have a chance? Absolutely. Uh, Do I give the pitching edge to the Rays? Yes, I do. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how Gonsolin does uh, on full rest and, you know, now not being yanked back and forth between a certain role. Uh, maybe that kind of clears his head a little bit because he's got stuff in place. He's, he's, he's really talented. Um, you know, with Blake Snell, we saw what he could do. He was throwing, you know, no hit ball through the first four, ran into some trouble. And the Rays have been very steadfast in that if they get to a certain part of the other team's lineup, no matter how well, their starting pitcher is going, they're going to, they're going to bring in their arms, those fire breathing dragons out of the pen. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't expect Snell to get past the fifth. Um, you know, I think the furthest he's gone all year is five and two thirds. So the, I, I think that's the way it's going to roll. 
Isn't that crazy how, you know, when we were growing up, we always talked about the starting pitching. It's about the starting pitching. And now, as you just said, this is a guy, Snell was one of Cy Young. You're like, if you can get five out of them, great. I mean, just talk about how dramatically different life is where where we can talk starting pitching, but reality is the bullpens are going to play big. Well, look at the number of guys in, in this series alone who throw 100, right? I mean, you know, Glass now is a starter that throws 100. Dustin May has been both a reliever and a starter throughout the postseason. He throws 100. Greater all, you know, on a bad day, he's throwing a 101. Uh, Fairbanks for the Rays is throwing 100. It's just, you know, if, if you got one guy in the World Series when we were growing up that threw 100, you were like, oh, my God, that guy's ridiculous. And now it's everybody. and it's guys out of the pen and it's not easy. Like, you know, you're like, Oh really? What's the difference between 94 and a hundred Kevin Millar, the guy I work with on intentional talk, will tell you the difference between 194. <laughs> He's like 94. Yeah, you can handle hundred. You're just like, geez, man. Oh man. So, you know, I guess it's, it's what's worked for the Rays in particular. And they're two wins away from winning it all. So we can sit here and, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I, I guess people who don't follow the Rays on a regular basis are like, man, what are they doing? But it's worked. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because obviously being in the American League, we, you know, seeing the Rays so much and, you know, just playing them in the wild card game. You know, it's like it's like funny in the Bay Area, and I'm sure, and I, I assume Southern California is the same way, you know, like Dodger fans or Giant fans really don't pay that much attention to the American League. But obviously, if you're an Angels fan or you're an A's fan, you know all about it. It's like it's like people don't get this is what the Rays do. They've been doing this for a long time. It's a bunch of nameless, faceless kind of guys, but they come out and they beat you. They're they're like that fighter. Like they, they can take they can take a lot of punches, but it's really tough to knock them out. Yeah, I mean this is this is how they have it's how they're built the way they've managed to go about their business. I mean, they're 28th in payroll going into this year, right? I mean, if you add up the, the contracts of what Kershaw and Betts and Turner, and there's one other guy on the Dodgers who's very well paid, but the four of them, I think, made more than the Rays combined. And, um, you know, I, I guarantee you that when the Rays made the World Series this year, there were a few owners that got on the phone with their GMs the next day saying, okay, so let me get this straight. Our payroll is twice what the Rays are paying, and we didn't even sniff the playoffs. What the hell are we doing? And I am all for, I want to get this out there, I am all for players getting paid whatever they can. I I totally am. But there's certain teams that I I guarantee you because of their market size are, are leaning more in the direction of the Rays than they are the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, not the, you know, you talk about our audience, you know, it's Moneyball. I mean, we've been doing this for yeah. a long, long time. And we, whenever I talk, Chris, whenever I talk to Rays people, I go, we're like, almost like twins. When you, when you look at the, I mean, we actually spend more money than the Rays do, but you look at the issues on the field, you look at the issues uh-huh. on the trying to get a new ballpark. Uh, we're yep. very similar, but I have a lot of respect. I, I think just, you know, from, from the way they run their business, they have issues. But the fact that they continue to win, 
They continue to make money. Yeah, they're not spending a lot, but the value, I think all of us have to look and just, you know, you got to appreciate how, how they take care of their business. Well, you do, but here's what it does. It lowers your margin of error significantly. It means you have to draft well, and you have to have the ability. I think that one thing that the Rays' current administration has been great with is what I like to call sifting through baseball's recycling cans. Half of their 28-man roster uh, in, the, in the World Series are guys that they obtained through trades. So what that means is other teams didn't want them. And other teams didn't want them not because they couldn't afford them. I mean, let's be honest. The Rays, when was the last time the Rays made a deal because somebody else had a financial issue? Like, never. So what, what they've done is they've grabbed all these guys that for one reason or another – didn't fit in a team's plan they looked at him and they said i can't believe you're you're putting this in your recycling bin like no 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 this isn't recyclable this is great this is a treasure and it fits what they do uh i mean pretty much on a nightly basis the only homegrown guys you're seeing in the lineup are brandon lau and kevin kiermeyer everybody else you know and brasso was was a draft choice too but he hasn't started a ton really Everybody else you're seeing played somewhere else and failed somewhere else and is now succeeding in Tampa. Yeah, that's kind of the, the, the trippy thing about this World Series is you think the Rays would be a bunch of homegrown guys, and that's actually more the way the Dodgers have gone about it than the Tampa Bay Rays. But I, I want to get into Clayton Kershaw because people have just ripped this guy. I mean, he's an all-time great. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, but they've ripped him for the postseason. Another win yesterday, five and two-thirds, gave up to earn, and he's now 2-0 and in the World Series. Is this changing the narrative on his postseason career? You think what he's doing right now? Not for me. I, I mean, I think that not for me in the standpoint of I didn't – I mean, I understand it. Like, he had coming into this World Series or this postseason or whatever it was, the worst ERA, the highest ERA of any pitcher who had thrown 100 playoff innings. And so I get it. But when I looked at Clayton Kershaw prior to this postseason run, he had some outstanding playoff starts. He had some really good playoff starts, and he had some terrible innings. And the reason I break it up into that group was I think the Dodgers had done him a disservice over the years. Now, ultimately, Kershaw's the one responsible. He wants the ball. He wants to be out there for his team. That's exactly who he is. The Dodgers never sufficiently built a team around him that could bail him out. You know, he had to pitch to Matt Adams in that game against St. Louis. And I think ended up losing like 3-2 or something like that, right, in a, in a game six, something like that. He had a couple of terrible innings against the Astros in 2017. But you know what nobody talks about? It's how in game one, he lit up the Astros. He struck out like 11. And nobody talks about the fact that in game seven, he came out of the bullpen and threw four shutout innings. You can't dismiss that stuff either. You can't say, oh, well, 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 I'm only going to focus on this, on what happened in game five in 2017. Like, if you're going to tell the story, tell the complete story. And so I am happy for him that he has now gone through two World Series appearances. And it's the first time he's ever won two games in a playoff series, in a singular series. 
um, that I guess, yeah, it'll shut some people up, but it, it never changed my mind because I knew exactly who he was all along. Yeah, he's truly, you know, one of the greats. By the way, how much fun is it watching guys stealing bases, seeing a little small ball? Chris, we even saw someone try and steal home, for God's sakes. Yeah, a straight steal of home, which I, I don't think we had seen that attempt in the World Series since 1982. Uh, we had seen some guys on the back end of a double steal, but that's a totally different animal. I love the play, particularly when you're facing Kershaw, whom you didn't hadn't done much against in game one. I think this is the way the Rays have to have to play in game six. And if there's a game seven, they can't sit around and pretend that they're the Dodgers offense. So I loved it. I think that you have to be able to change your tack. You know, I mean, the Rays have scored 70% of their runs in the playoffs via the home run. It's a hard thing to do, man. It's hard. You know, you can't sit around. This isn't like Earl Weaver, the Orioles. Let's play for the three-run homer. Because, you know, how often have we seen the Rays get two guys on for a guy? It just it hasn't happened, particularly against the Dodgers starting pitching. So I loved it. You know, I think about what you do, uh, MLB Network, and also in the NFL. Just just how happy are you that, that we're getting through this in baseball and we're actually getting through this in the NFL also? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real challenge. Um, you know, when it, baseball was the first non-bubble team sport to really give this a shot, right? All the other team sports had been in a bubble. And they took some lumps, you know, with the Marlins situation and the Cardinals situation. But ultimately, they got through it. And, uh, you know, I mean... It's a, it's a real challenge where we are. I mean, I, listen, I, I live in L.A. You're up in Northern California. There's a lot that we can't do that the rest of the country is doing. Um, and I'm not going to get into the, the policymakers and the decision makers about being right and wrong and who say. But I do think that playing these sports has been so important for the country's psyche. Okay? Um, that's a real big thing. It is because at a time where our kids can't go back to school and our kids can't play organized sports through school and things of that nature, to have something that galvanizes a community is, uh, is immeasurable in terms of its importance. You know, I'm glad you bring that up because I actually have a family restaurant in San Diego and we've had people in the restaurant down there at 25% for over a month. It was just right. last week here in the Bay Area, we were allowed to have 25, just last week. It's unbelievable. And that's where I think about your show, Intentional Talk, and I think the way you guys entertain, you do a great job doing baseball and you entertain, and that's one of the reasons why ESPN picked your guys show up, because you know, so much of baseball is not about having fun for some reason. Just talk about how your show, it's all about fun and entertaining, and that's why I think your show is so successful. Well, I mean, what has been the the mo for baseball critics for years if not decades well baseball players aren't interesting that's bs they are interesting the way we covered them has not been interesting so shame on us and i think we've been really fortunate with intentional talk and some other shows that we do on the network you know mlb central in particular does a really good job of it uh of 
showing off the personality. You know, you're seeing it more even on the rundown, which is our, our kind of our midday show from uh, 11 to 1 o'clock uh, Pacific time. Uh, of just kind of showing off who these guys are, um, breaking down the walls. You know, Trevor Bauer has done a great job on his social media platform and his YouTube channel. Um, but let's not act like we haven't been trying this. We've been doing this for 10 years. Hopefully people have enjoyed what we like to call the best interview in baseball. And we're not the first to ever do it, but I think that we've done a pretty good job of consistently showing that these guys are fun uh, outside talking about the three, two slider that they're facing. Yeah. Well, your show is second to none. You guys do a great job and uh, we always appreciate having you on. Enjoy the rest of the world series. Be safe and let's talk soon. You do the same. Thanks as always. That's your guy, Chris Rose. Does a show with the one five. Or was it? Yeah, one five. Kevin Millar. One five. Yeah, one five. Oh, Millar. That's Pedro Martin. That's what Pedro Martinez calls him. I mean, the reality is, I mean, we say it over and over again, but the fact that we got this thing in, the fact that we're gonna have a World Series, is pretty remarkable. You know, I mean, a lot of people didn't didn't think this was going to happen. And let's face it, they had to make changes. I think that's something that needs to be talked about that's very, very key, is that Major League Baseball understood that they got to be flexible and that you're going to have to make changes. The more and more we learn about COVID-19 and the way the season was going, and I think that that that's one of the the key takeaways I think today from Liam Hendricks was you know what we learned how to deal with it as we're now talking about a second wave as we're now talking about you know having to deal with this through the winter and through the spring that for the most part professional sports has learned how to deal with it and how to be successful and have to move forward. Because we just, I mean, we we don't know what spring training is going to be like. We don't know exactly when the NBA, when the NHL, when they're going to start. We don't know these things. Hopefully we're going to get through the football season and have a Super Bowl. I mean, everything is so different. You know, every county. For, forget every, you know, you know, it's funny, Cody, how they say every state's different. Forget every state. Every county is different. The counties have different ways they run things. It's like, you know, for example, our family restaurant in San Diego. We've now had people inside the restaurant, limited capacity, for over a month now. Here in Santa Clara County, where both Cody and I live, what was it, last week we finally got to go inside if you wanted to? Yeah, and then we saw what happened with the Niners. Uh, they, the state was working towards allowing fans back into sporting events at around like 25% capacity or something like that. And the Santa Clara County, not even an hour later, was like, yeah, no, there's going to be no fans being played at <clears> – no fans will be in attendance at Levi Stadium uh, anytime soon. And that just then I, I figured that tied into the S, uh, SAP Center where the Sharks play 
because they're, they're looking at potentially a start of uh, the season at the beginning of the new year. you got college football coming back with Cal and Stanford, and Stanford being in Santa Clara County. So there's not going to be fans. San Jose State won a big game in the Mountain West the other, the other night with nobody big there. Game. Did you see my Spartans get their opening victory? Over a team that won 11 games last year. It was impressive. And Derek Deese Jr., look, I saw a big board today for tight ends, and he wasn't on the top ten. I'm like, you know what? You better go back and watch some film. This kid can play. But uh, I want. I hopefully we'll, we'll get back to normalcy when we can see some fans here. But you're right. Every county's different. Like again, we just started having being able to go in the restaurants where my parents are going to restaurants in Pennsylvania, and they're like 50 to 75 percent capacity. So completely different on every. No matter where you're, even LA, like you mentioned, LA and Southern California is way different than what's going on here. It's county to county. I mean, it's really hard to believe that somebody's telling the 49ers they can't have fans, but yet we're watching fans everywhere around the country. College football, the World Series, and now you think about it, you know, because you wonder, like, well, why not play the World Series in in San Diego or in Los Angeles. Well, because Major League Baseball was smart. They realized, okay, we'll, we'll put playoffs in Southern California because the odds of it raining are pretty slim. Then we'll put the other playoffs in Texas where we have two retractable roofs. But in the end, how much was it also, we know we'll be able to have some fans. I wonder how much that played in the commissioner's office saying, California's locked down, no dice. Texas going to be able to open up and have some fans. I wonder how much that played along with the, because right now it's raining in Texas. But, you know, the fact that you'll have the games for sure because of the roof. And, because remember now the roof's been open. If it's not raining, the roof stays open for COVID purposes. But if it's raining, it's closed. But you can get fans in the ballpark. I mean, think about what that conversation must be like for the 49ers. Wait a minute. Other teams in the NFL have fans. (laughs) Why can't we? Why can't we separate people? Why can't we do this? Like From what I was watching the NFL a little bit yesterday, uh, the Chargers didn't – well, the – Talk about this nicely. The Chargers didn't have fans, but they don't have fans when they have fans. Uh, the new stadium, SoFi Stadium in L.A., and the Patriots didn't have any fans at their game against the 49ers, which was odd because the East Coast, like it seems like every every stadium had fans. But it's it's crazy because uh, I was going to make a joke about you said how it's raining in Texas. Is it raining or is that Cowboy fans crying um, because of how bad their season's going? But uh, it, it, we 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 have uh, we have Commissioner Manfred uh, Robbie, as we like to call him, our good friend. We got him on speed down now, so we should probably call him up and ask him these questions after the World, the World Series is over. Because I think he's a little busy right now for us to give him a call. But now that we have, hey, all- I, I I applaud him. I and and I know uh, I think it was you sent me the article. He thinks sixteen teams is too much. Yeah. What 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 does he think the ideal number is? I have to go back. I have to go back and check. I, I, that was like that was a couple of days ago. I think the number that I keep throwing around is fourteen. I think he even mentioned fourteen was the number that they were looking at, which is great. That means you give the top two teams, uh, you would give the top team in each league a buy essentially, and then you would, if you wanted to, that's how it works. You give 
the Dodgers and Rays a bye, and then the A's would be the the A's would have been the number two seed, and they would have played the what the eight or seven. So it would have been just one that would have went along. It would go along those lines, and you eliminate the 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 possibility of a team like uh, Houston sneaking out the losing record, or um, who was the worst team in the National League that snuck in? Um, who the Dodgers played in the first round? I heard, it, it feels like it was so long ago, but it was only like a month Milwaukee. ago. Milwaukee, Milwaukee, yeah, another team with a losing record. So that I think that that's a way you can do it because it eliminates a possibility of a third team from a division getting out the losing record. What's the ideal number? Well, why don't we ask Mike Farron from MLB Station on Sirius XM, channel number 89. He also works for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He'll join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. You know, when I'm driving home from the golf course and my guy Kevin Franzen is on MLB <laughs> channel number 89 XM with, with Mike Farron. I'm like, man, you'll hire anybody these days. That is absolutely the case. First of all, I can tell you've been playing a lot of golf because it looks like you've gotten a fair amount of sun. Oh. You are ruddy complexion, Tony. <laughs> I got my handicap into single digits. I'm playing almost every day. Oh, life has been good. I'll tell you about the last time I went to go take lessons uh, for golf because my golf game was pretty bad. And after about the third hole, I turned to the pro and he said, I said, what do you think? He goes, my advice to you is to take two weeks off golf and then quit. (laughs) Hey, uh, I always love it when you go, you know what, if I were you, I'd take up tennis because at least you'll get some exercise. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's too much running for me in that. How are you? I'm doing on? great. I think your guys' coverage on XM has been fabulous. And it's uh, and, and one of the things I love to do is, uh, you know, because I got the app, because I get in my car, but I got the app. And the fact that you guys are running the, the local broadcast for games, I think, has been fabulous. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to hear the different broadcasts around the country. But the way you guys have covered the playoffs, it's been second to none. Well, thanks. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the beauties of the the feature we have is that we can, you know, we can show or, or, you know, allow listeners to be able to tune in, especially in the postseason to what they want. And so you can get uh, the Rays broadcaster, you can get the Dodgers broadcaster, you can get the national broadcast with, with Dan Shulman and Chris Singleton and uh, Jessica Mendoza. And so you can get different perspectives and try a whole bunch of different, um, uh, different things out. And um, it's one of the things that I really appreciate about where we work is that, you know, we, we're able to give a lot of different access. It's a little different in the season. If you're listening on one of the radio devices, because, you know, the bandwidth to do the home team feeds, but you can always get it through the app too. And it's just, you know, it's fun. And it all ties back into what we do on MLB network radio and that it, it's great support for, for us, you know, being able to have something to talk about every day. If you are someone who wants to make a fine living in this game, <laughs> I, I think it's a, a real question. Do you think a lot of teams are really, or I should say players really rooting for the Rays? Because I think from the standpoint of if I'm a player, having the team that goes on the cheap and wins it, you know, we, we always talk about all these sports are copycat leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a player, do you really want to see the Rays win? Man, that's a question that I haven't even thought of. Um, and it's a really good one because we certainly have seen organizations trend more towards 
Um, the uncertainty and inexpensive nature of youthful talent versus the certainty and maybe lack of ceiling of more expensive veteran players. And I'll add that we're probably going to see that take another huge step uh, in that direction here over the next several months as we deal with, you know, continued fallout from the pandemic and what it means for baseball financially going forward. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'd be curious to know if any players are wired like that. I'm sure that there are some that compete against the Dodgers that are just tired of the Dodgers, right? And that they would like to see them, uh, you know, see the Rays win because they're as much rooting against the Dodgers. But from a financial standpoint, it is an interesting thought. I mean, for every guy that doesn't get a deal like that, though, it's an opportunity for someone else who might be talented, who might be able to make, uh, you know, a career that that you know, they hadn't thought of otherwise. And the Rays certainly have, you know, a number of guys who have been either Division Three players like Josh Fleming or guys that have bounced around to multiple organizations like John Curtis or, you know, any number of guys like that who would continue to, you know, get chances overall to be able to, to try and show – G-Man Choi is another good example of guys who bounced around. I think he's on his sixth organization, right? Um, and he's obviously a key component for that. So, um, you know, there's opportunity that's there too, but from a, an overall, are you are you raising the amount of money that is being paid to players? It's a good question. It's one that I wish I had a better answer for. Well, I tell you, one guy's making money and gets a lot of criticism is Clayton Kershaw. Actually, he's been pretty good lately. Where are you on him with the postseason? Uh, you know what? I really – there's a good chunk of the the runs that he's allowed that have been given up that are inherited runners over the course of his postseason. And really, I just don't care that much about what are viewed as his postseason failures. Maybe it's because I've seen him pitch well in person enough in the postseason that I don't – necessarily think of it as being an issue i mean here's here's my favorite clayton kershaw stat and you may have heard me give this one before of players since the beginning of the live ball era so that's going back to 1920 who have thrown more than 2,000 innings in a career clayton kershaw has the lowest earned run average is that I a mean, small sample size <laughs> it's not that small i mean so you're talking about one of the all-time great pitchers ever and I think regardless of what's happened to him in the postseason or, you know, what he has or hasn't done in the postseason, I mean, this guy is a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer. So that's that's kind of where I, where I fall on the Kershaw discussion is like there's no legacy game for him in the playoffs. There's no, you know, none of this, like his legacy is cemented. The guy's got three Cy Young awards. He's one of the all time greats. So, I mean, basically, you know, you know, it is what it is. Rays got to win the next two games. Yeah. Are, are you buying any stock in the in the Rays, or do you think this thing's over? Well, I think they've got the advantage in Game Six. I mean, I think even with Dave Roberts' comments today that Tony Gonsolin is being viewed viewed as a starter and not an opener, that they're expecting him to go, you know, like a normal starter workload. I I actually really like Tampa Bay's lineup as it matches up against them, and I think you know much like I would rather attack Tampa Bay's lineup with left-handed pitching. I also would rather attack the Dodgers with a left-handed pitcher, especially one with the stuff that Blake Snell has. So I think the Rays have an advantage in game six, and then you get to game seven, and like anything can happen. And Charlie Morton wasn't very good in game three. You want to bet on Charlie Morton having two bad postseason starts in a row? I'm not sure about that. Now, Walker Bueller doesn't have bad postseason starts either, so you know, maybe that that helps to tip the scales back towards LA. But I don't really necessarily look at it as being like it's a, a 
it's this like crazy needle to thread for Tampa Bay to be able to end up with a World Series championship. I think they've got an, an edge, at least on paper, in going into game six. And then game seven, anything can happen. Yeah, what is the deal with the yoga pants and Walker Bueller? Like, where do you get? Dude, if, I mean, no like, if you could pull it off, you would. You absolutely would pull, pull that off if you could. I don't know if I would do that look. I, I mean, it's it works for him, right? Like, those are t- like this is the skinny jean era. <laughs> this is not an era that was designed for me. <laughs> I think you'd look great. Uh, yeah, no, if I showed up in skinny jeans at my house, my wife would throw me out. Oh, it would be the best. No, so, I don't want to live on the street. <laughs> so when you start thinking about this World Series, we've been saying it here. No other, no other era of baseball has ever had to go through what mm-hmm. these guys have gone through. When you're talking, and I, and we, you know, we are breaking down the Rays about how their bubble was San Diego, and then they got to move their bubble to Arlington, and now they're playing in front of fans for the first time, where the Dodgers have been there for weeks in the same hotel, you know, in the same clubhouse. I just, whoever ends up winning this, everything that these players have had to go through playing through this pandemic, social injustice. I mean, think about us out here in California with the fires. Yeah. We were almost dealing with a hurricane down there in Houston. I mean, whoever wins this World Series, I, they're going to, to me, they'll be one of the great champions because everything they had to go through. They certainly will have earned it and, and, and add into an extra round of playoffs that generally doesn't exist, too, um, that everybody had to participate in. It wasn't just a wild card game. So, yeah, I think that there's absolute legitimacy in this season and in this postseason and you know quite frankly this has been a damned entertaining postseason too right like i mean i think about the the number of games that we've had that have been fun or exciting or had major shifts in the middle like and maybe some of it is because we ended up with a ton of extra games because we had the extra round of playoffs but like there have been some really really great ones you know i think game three of the a's white Sox series was a damned compelling game you know like that that was that was incredible. Like, you know, watching the Astros come back from th- down three, nothing only to lose, like, but still have chances late in that game. Like there was, there's been a lot, the Dodgers Padres, you know, played a great series. Obviously game four of the world series was one of those ones that will be forever remembered because it was just such a crazy seesaw affair. Like, I, I think that there have been really compelling games. I agree with you. The challenge, the players and coaches and staff have had to go through this year has been unprecedented and i think that that level of mental fatigue that has come with it um has certainly had an impact on the players and that we should laud whoever wins the championship this year for surviving um it would in a lot of respects is the most grueling tournament we've had you know i you know we got to see in san diego down at the winter meetings and i know we you know we just had rob manfred on the show and i asked him about the off season and he said the, the virus will dictate what happens this offseason. Mm-hmm. You know, with the CBA, I mean, we really have no clue what baseball is going to look like in 2021. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I think that that's absolutely fair. I mean, I think we have a, a schedule for now, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to be the schedule that we end up following. Um, it feels a little weird and kind of disgusting to say, but the fans in the stands – in Dallas may give us some clue as to how close to normal we can be in 2021. If, if baseball gets through these two weeks of games without any 
community spread or outbreak or um, significant cases that come as a result of, of having fans in the stands. I think it bodes well to, you know, reaching some semblance of normalcy, maybe as we get closer to opening day. I just don't think that we're going to play if we have 25% attendance in all the ballparks, because the, the amount of money that was lost this year by owners that, that, you know, they feel like they need to be able to recoup is not, is going to be at a level that, um, you know, it's not going to be sustainable to try and play a 162 game season. And there's got to be a percentage that makes it okay. But even when that happens, like what happens with revenue sharing, you know, the suspended revenue sharing this year, what happens next year? If you're playing at 50% capacity to open the season, can you share revenue? What does that do for the small market teams? What does that do to the big market teams, which, which have bigger expenses and therefore likely lost more money this year um, overall? So, like, it's, it's a really messy situation. Once we get through this World Series, I mean, you're going to see a play out in free agency, and guys are going to get deals that you don't anticipate. They're going to be significantly lower. You're going to see a ton of non-tenders, I think. The market's going to be flooded with free agents, and guys are going to be taking you know, one-year deals for a fraction of what they normally would because there's just not going to be the, – the budgets are going to be rolled back, by my estimation, somewhere between 20 and 30% by just about every team. Yeah, we just had Liam Hendricks on. And, you know, the good thing that he said was that they got through a season. They've learned how to do it. So that's why he's optimistic for next year. But, you know, with the CBA coming up, I got to tell you one thing. No one's going to want to hear Tony Clark and Rob Manfred bickering over a CBA. They need to get into a room and do this quietly because, you know, so many people who've been laid off and so many people have lost so much money. They're not going to want to hear millionaires and billionaires bickering. I I couldn't agree more. And I think now is the time to get the next CBA done. I really think that that should be on the front burner here over the next several weeks, because to your point, it's, you know, that's nationwide worldwide that we're dealing with those furloughs and layoffs, but think about it in our industry too. I mean, you're dealing with it with coworkers. I've dealt with it with a number of coworkers on my end, people who are either furloughed or terminated, uh, you know, like had their, their deals done. And like, you think about the joy that it is in working in baseball and how much you dream of it and to have that ripped away by something that, that nobody really could control is very, very difficult. So yeah, I think having some sort of certainty moving forward, certainly makes sense. Um, and I think that that's going to be better for the overall health of the game. Now it's just a matter of both sides can get together on it and try and work it out. And I do think, and, and I will give Rob Manford credit for this in that a lot of the discussion points that he's brought up when it's been brought to him, he said, listen, we worked through after those, you know, that bickering over how many games we were going to play. There were a lot of issues that we worked through, you know, including uh, increased safety precautions for players that the Players Association worked with MLB on. And I'm of the belief that if you can work through those negotiations together, that maybe that would allow you to build some momentum to get something far more significant done. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, who are the Hawks and who are the Doves on both sides and who ends up having the loudest voice. Yeah, because I I think about all the major players, for the most part, they have contracts i mean there's been Mm -hmm. record contract extensions so the top players in the game they're going to want to play especially after not making all the money from this season uh they want to do the universal dh that's another high paying job they want to add you know they want to expand two more teams that's not only two more major league rosters that's all the minor league rosters it's like major league baseball is coming to the table and giving the union for the most part what they want more jobs 
I think so to some degree. I mean, I think that there are other things that that um, that the Players Association is concerned about, specifically with free agency and how to protect that. But I would also say that a large amount of the way that they could go about protecting free agency would be to um, suggest some ideas that may alter the early career pay structure that I'm, I'm not sure that MLB would be wouldn't be agreeable to it just would fly in the face of the way they have negotiated as a whole at least the players have negotiated as a whole over the last 40 years their their structure has generally been like the highest paid guys are going to drag everybody up with them and now i almost think like you need to be able to bring in a higher floor for player salaries i'm not talking about floors and caps for for teams but for where the player salaries are in an effort to try and rise it up, the idea being that you're encouraging players to stay away from those early career contracts so that they can test free agency so that the stars can get there as well. And, and there needs to be some better incentive for teams to be able to sign quality major leaguers as opposed to trying to piece together a position based on a number of reserves. And that's not to take take away anything but like what Milwaukee did this year was lose two key guys going into the the winter in Grandal and Moustakas who were very important offensive pieces and their idea to fill that was to add like five guys that were going to be cheaper that at least statistically you felt like could piece together most of that production and so then you have those guys leave and you and the problem was that they didn't produce like that because those players were being exposed in a different level than they had been in the past. And so like, there's a lot of things that are at play here that the players association needs to get figured out first and foremost. There's a lot of stuff that MLB does too, because there are some owners that are far more interested in finding a way to create an NBA NHL style revenue split or revenue share with the players than has existed to this point. And that would significantly alter the financial course of baseball as well. And maybe there are some that aren't quite as interested in that. And that's a big fight against uh, what the players association is too. So they're, they're, you know, basically it's the mound meeting in Bull Durham, right? We're dealing with a lot of stuff here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what, what does Millie want for her wedding? Right. Well, if that'd be great if Rob Manfred shows up with candlesticks in the first negotiating session with, with Tony Clark and Tony Clark accepts them. Will we be on our way to a deal? And he's got to cut the head off a chicken. <laughs> we need a rooster. Is it a live rooster? We need a live rooster <laughs> to take the hex off Jose's glove. Oh, man, I miss seeing you. You look Missing great. Missing you, too. Uh, no, nah, you're lying, but I appreciate you saying that. Nah, I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, the other day, uh, we actually had like a little uh, a golf meeting, a little business meeting. It was like seeing coworkers that I, I, I haven't seen people since March. I haven't seen Dude, people I work with since March. I went to the ballpark once this year. I went for the doubleheader the last Friday of the season. That was the only time I was in the ballpark this year. It was so bizarre. And like having that experience of being in the park with no fans, like just like really eerie. It was great to see people, but at the same time, you still had that kind of feel about it. I did get out to Instructs one day last week, which was a lot of fun too. That was nice to stand in the hundred degree heat. <laughs> six feet away from the scouts but at least i got to watch some baseball yeah i i you know this will be the first time in my life i never went to i never went to a game yeah everything was done from home like they were you know because our governor wanted the 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 head count to be so low that they just said okay we'll keep we'll keep our guys out of the ballpark and it was like crazy i mean we did i did every game i did all 60 games all from my house in san jose yeah it's just it it Man, I miss 
I miss the people more than anything, right? Like I miss baseball games and seeing baseball games in person. Obviously that's one of the coolest perks of our job or being able to be on the field and do all the cool stuff that you and I get to do, right. As part of our gigs. But like one of the reasons I love covering baseball is because of the people, because the people involved in baseball at so many different levels love to talk about baseball, which happens to be my favorite thing to talk about. So whether it's coaches or sitting in the manager's office or uh, talking to players or standing around the cage or talking to scouts or talking to other broadcasters or talking to writers, Writers. I mean, you think about how many different people crossed your path on a given day at the ballpark. And it's not, I mean, what, what do you think? Probably on average, you talk to maybe 40, 45 people over the course of a day, even if it's just like 10 words, like you lose that for those six months that you're used to getting that. And that's a huge, like, that's a huge energy boost for me. I'm an extrovert anyway. So like I draw my energy off other people and that was really tough. And I'm, I miss that so much. I miss seeing the people that I know, even the ones that I don't like. Well, <laughs> not all of them. There's one in particular that I really don't miss. But... <laughs> hey, let's end on this. Uh, listening to all the uh, XGMs you guys got, they've been, uh, your buddy, the Duke and Jim Bowden have been doing the uh, they've been doing a pregame show for the World Series. Mm-hmm. And I just get the sense that these guys. They wouldn't want to go back. The game has changed so much. They like being media guys. And I don't think they would like to do the business of baseball the way it's done now. That's just kind of listening to them. Do you get that sense? Well, I mean, I, I know Duke pretty well, so I would say that. He, one of my favorite Jim Duquette lines was, was always that the guys that, that he always felt like had the best jobs were the special assistants because they were the ones who were always smiling when they left the office at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and so because they didn't have the responsibility of having to make the decisions or any of that. So in that sense, I think Duke absolutely would go back to do something like that. As to being a GM again, I don't know. You know, it's really interesting because I think Jim's perspective in particular has changed over the course of the last five or six years. And with a much better understanding of the data and technology, I think, than a lot of the people that were his peers at the time that are in the media now. And I think his understanding of that and his communication skills with people with people would make him a really interesting candidate for those kind of roles um, to surround himself with. But if he surround himself with the right folk, but I think you're also right. Like it's, it's a little bit different. There's a lot less stress. Um, you know, you, you get to spend uh, a much more time at home. Um, you don't have, you don't have the 3am phone call where something has gone horribly wrong, nearly to the same degree in radio that you do if you're working in a front office. And so I think there's an appreciation for the lack of, of that, but at the same time, it's, it's still competition. And it's the same thing. Like when Aaron Boone took the Yankees job, I said, why did you want, why would you want to do this? Like you've got the gig, right? You do Sunday night baseball, you're you know, flying around the country. You do a couple of games a week. You get to be connected to the game. There's no pressure on it. And in the end, he was like, man, I miss competing. And I think that that's the thing that you can never replicate if you're on the outside is competition and, and the, the joy of wins and the heartbreak of losses. Boy, if I could get that cushy consultant job, I'd take that in a oh, second. Yeah, wouldn't we all? Pay me a million dollars just to show up and say, yeah, I think you guys are doing a great job. Tony, maybe we can start something here. We can get a- I, I figure it out. Whatever. I'm in. 
Oh, you, you just got to tell people what they want to hear. That's the key to being a consultant. You just tell them what they want to hear, and they'll keep paying. Well, it, it's tell tell them what they want to hear, and then and then if you're if you're one of those consultants that you know is all about restructuring, then doing the dirty work for them so that they don't have to. That's all you have to do, and you can make. I see. We should have gone to business school. We I missed know. our chance. Well, you know I'm listening. Channel 89 XM. I'm listening. I'm also listening on my phone. I'll be out there on the range listening to you guys in the morning. So your show is the, you're my favorite spot. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm with friends in tomorrow. So maybe we'll take a pot shot at you. The great San Jose state Spartan. Now we didn't, (laughs) now we both played baseball there. He was just a a little bit better than I, a little bit younger and a little bit better than me. I think he's, he's I love to tease him. And he said to me the other day, he's like, you know, you don't appreciate how good a player I actually was. <laughs> I think he's still our all-time hits leader. I wouldn't be surprised. Kevin Kevin was a Kevin built a really nice career for himself, and he's a lot of fun to work with. We're lucky we've got a couple of West Coast offensive guys. So they know how to bunt, they know how to hit and run, they know how to take a dose. It's good between him and spillboards. Like we can get guys that turn into a pitch. It's not like you know the Florida State guy and Eduardo Perez is just looking to go bridge. <laughs> Swinging out of his ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We could just get a Fullerton pitcher. We'd teach everybody on staff a changeup. Well, I'll tell you what. At some point, we're going to get out on the course of Bob Melvin down in Arizona. So I, I don't know when that is, but it's not going to be too long. We'll get out to, to Bob's course and we'll, uh, we'll we'll hit it around the yard. That, that sounds great. I will caddy for you because my golf game is so bad right now, it would be an embarrassment for me to get on the tee. As long as you can drink beer and drive a cart, you can be a golfer. I I, I am very good at at least the first part of those. <laughs> All right, buddy. You be well. Be safe. And we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good, Tony. Take care. Take care. See ya. Mike Farron from uh, – I always screw up the name because it's not radio. It's MLB – it's the channel on XM. MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. The Power Alley. The Power Alley. Oh, the Power Alley. Him and Jim Duquette. My guy Franny on there now. Friend of the program. That's a good friend of the program, Kevin Franzen. San Jose State legend. San Jose. Just a San Jose legend is what he is. Former neighbor of yours as well. Well, kind of. Uh, that is correct. Kind of, but former neighbor. He lived like a minute from me. Yeah. So I said kind of. Now, now he's in. Uh, now he's in Philly. Yeah. No, actually, I think he lives in Jersey. Ugh, even worse. That always. That always. That always is kind of like, a, like when I was just. I was just in Philadelphia, and it's like, it's like weird. It's like, you work in Philly, but you live in New Jersey. Yeah, what's well, like that with uh, people that live in uh, Portland and they go, to, but they live in Washington. Like there's people who do that too. It's not as close as New Jersey and Philly, but it's still. Or people that live in Philly and work in New York City because you can take a train or subway there. In Pittsburgh, you get to drive everywhere. So, I mean. Well, according to our our old colleague, Matt Steinmetz, uh, Pittsburgh is the Midwest. It's only two hours of Cleveland, so I guess you can compare Cleveland and Pittsburgh to Philly and New York. Uh, I always like having Mike Farron on. Coming up next, let's talk some World Series with the play-by-play voice of the Rays. Dave Wills will join us once again from Arlington, Texas, as we're getting you ready for Game 6 tomorrow right here on A's Cast Live. Hey, this is Fred of the B-52s, and whenever my flying saucer is over Oakland, I listen to A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town. A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend.
You think the B-52s are listening to the show? I mean, you heard from Fred right there. His flying saucer is probably somewhere over Oakland. Um, Love Shack. Baby Love Shack. Rock Lobster. Private Idaho. They have so many good songs. (laughs) The B-52s. Well, earlier today, we caught up with the play-by-play voice of the Rays as they're in Arlington. They have the day off. Game six is tomorrow. Here is Rays play-by-play man, Dave Wills. Well, Dave, the last time we talked to you, you were in San Diego. You're now in Arlington. It's the World Series. I know you guys are down, but there is still a chance. You guys have been playing some really good baseball. We've been doing a lot of things right. I mean, I think, you know, again, leading up to the World Series, our pitching had been very, very good. Our bullpen had been, uh, you know, almost locked down from about the sixth inning on. Our offense was sketchy, uh, but, uh, you know, again, somehow, some way, we just figured out a way to win some ball games. And uh, after jumping ahead 3-0 on the Astros, uh, we had a tendency to do this all season long. We made things interesting, and uh, fortunately, we were able to win game seven. And now we're taking on a Dodgers team that, uh, you know, it's almost a mirror-like team, although they're about five years into the mirror. You know, it's uh, they, got, they, they you know brought up a lot of guys that have been with them for a while now and uh, added Mookie Betts, obviously, to the equation. Uh, this year, but, uh, you know, they've got a lot of guys that play the game the same way we do. They're just a little more experienced. And so we got a taste of that in game one. I think we were a little, uh, I don't want to say uh, in awe of the of the experience, but it was our first time playing in front of fans. It was our first time playing in the World Series. And I think uh, Tyler Glass now pitched like it and some of our guys played like it. Then came back in game two, uh, got beat up a little bit in game three, and then game four was one for the ages. And then yesterday, we just couldn't get the big hit when we needed it. Uh, we had a chance in the fourth inning. I think we had Kershaw on the uh, on the edge uh, for each of the first four innings, and he had a first and third situation trying to protect the one-run lead. And uh, the first batter, for me, always sets the tone in those situations. And Joey Wendell, who I love, got jammed on a pitch, which, you know, a Hall of Fame pitcher is going to do that to you every once in a while, and popped out. Willie Adamas has had a tough time at the plate. He struck out on three pitches. And then I have no problem with Manuel Margot trying to time the move of of Kershaw, but uh, credit to Kershaw. He was able to sniff it out, step off the rubber without balking, and throw him out of the plate, and that was really our last chance at scoring. I mean, we've watched stuff that, I mean, uh, we've seen uh, throughout the playoffs from you guys. We've seen a sack bunt. We've seen a, a try to steal home, and this is, uh, welcome back to what baseball used to be. Yeah, which is kind of surprising, because we're kind of anti-bunt. Uh, we, we didn't have a bunt uh, all regular season long. I think we were one of three teams that went through that. And uh, there was a time in, in one of the playoffs, I think it might have been against the Yankees, uh, where uh, they put the bunt on for Michael Perez. Or I think it might have been against the Astros. He put the bunt on uh, for Michael Perez. And uh, Perez uh, didn't get the first two bunts down. And then on 0-2 hit a home run. And uh, so, you know, it's it, it's crazy. We've seen a little bit of everything. I don't think Kevin called for the uh, steal of home. I think that was all on Margot. But you know, we're, we're a raised team that's going to try and beat you in different ways. Uh, it's hard to believe that when you look back at the record books when this uh, playoff series is over and the World Series is over, the Rays are going to be atop the uh, home run total for uh, a postseason. Uh, and and I, that's not the way we're necessarily built. We've got a lot of guys who can hit home runs, but uh, I think we've relied on the home run a little too much so far here in the postseason and especially here in the World Series. So we've got two more chances. I'd never count this team out. Uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of people who are saying that the Dodgers are too good, but uh, we've gone toe-to-toe with them now for five games, and I'll take our chances uh, at, at winning these last two games. 
We talked to your buddy, uh, Brian Anderson, and I think he made a great statement, which I, I think us in California probably understand more than everybody else. I mean, we're, I mean, just last week, we were finally allowed here in Northern California to go into restaurants, uh, 25%. And I, I just think about how the Rays had been in San Diego. They got to take their bubble now to Arlington. And now you're playing in front of fans for the first time. And Brian was really eloquent about it. Just like, you know, the just the difference in the world you've been living in to where you're now to the Dodgers completely opposite. They've been in Arlington for weeks. They've played in front of fans. They've been in the same uh, clubhouse. It's like a home away from home. So just talk what that, what, you know, from San Diego to Arlington, what's that experience been like for you guys? And to now finally have fans in the stands. Are you talking about our Brian Anderson who does uh, TV for the Rays or the Brian Anderson who does TVs for the Brewers or the T- uh, TNT? <laughs> I'm, talking about, I'm talking about your guy for the Rays. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. B.A., uh, you know, it's been different. I mean, even from a broadcaster standpoint, uh, being in San Diego, you know, we're, we're a little more open in, uh, in the state of Florida, obviously, than uh, some of the other uh, areas of the country, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. That's what for people to determine. But then we get out to San Diego, and, um, you know, the restaurants were closing at 10 o'clock. It was mostly only outdoor seating. Um, it, you know, it really was kind of different. For the players, uh, you know, I think there's only about maybe 18 to 20, 24 uh, family members who have joined the team uh, to be in the bubble. So a lot of these guys now have been separated from their families for over three weeks, which is something that uh, they never, ever do. So it, it's been a little awkward. We were just beginning to make San Diego feel like home. Uh, went in there and uh, beat a Yankee team and then took uh, seven games to do it against the Astros. And then you come out here to Arlington and, you know, we're back in familiar territories, the team staying out in Las Colinas, I believe, which is where we uh, usually stay when we come here. But, um, again, restricted to the property and uh, can't do a whole lot uh, other than, uh, you know, hang around the property, maybe go to breakfast or, you know, go to one of those social areas where you can kind of chill for a little while. And then on a bus, you come to the ballpark, and it's a ballpark we've never been in. Uh, we, we were able to get a quick workout in the first day we landed after, uh, you know, for just maybe an hour or so. So uh, it took maybe a day or two to get acquainted. Now, the, the one thing uh, that I think helps this team is the fact that the turf here in Arlington is very similar to the turf at Tropicana Field. So uh, we didn't have that kind of an adjustment period that I think teams have when they come into the trap, especially those who might only play there one a, one, once a year. And uh, I believe it always takes at least a game, game and a half for people to adjust the speed. Uh, but Kevin said, too, that the infield dirt might have been a little harder than it is at Tropicana Field. But all in all, uh, you know, again, like I said, after that first game where I think we, we did look like a team that hadn't settled in yet, that well, there was the newness about it, I think since then I think we've been fine. Uh, a lot of fans are wondering why the Dodgers get the advantage. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for us, that's just the way it worked out. But, uh, you know, again, I think when you win 43 games, they had the best record. They probably should get some kind of a benefit to that. So uh, I, I don't think the field – has really uh, like played to one team's advantage or the other. Both teams can hit the ball out of the ballpark a little bit. Hey, this Dodgers team is just deep. They're really, really good, and uh, it's going to take a, a pretty good effort by the Rays to get by them here the last two nights. You know, I know this is going to sound weird, but, you know, for my audience, like, we can't go to football games, we can't go to baseball games. What was it like broadcasting with fans in the stands again? Was it weird? You know what? It, it really, really wasn't. Uh, you know, it's been nice to, from what I understand, they're only pumping in a low line of uh, of, of the, the fake crowd noise, kind of keep a constant hum going 
within the ballpark. Uh, but the Rangers uh, have done a pretty good show uh, with, you know, again, Chuck Morgan being their PA guy and in charge of game presentation. And uh, they've done a real, real good job with that. Uh, the, the Ranger people that are handling the fans, uh, you know, they're in pods of four. I think they've done a wonderful job uh, in, in hosting this event. Um, it's been nice to hear some emotion. You know, I think, Chris, when we're doing play-by-play, uh, play, uh, you know, at home especially, there were a number of times this year where there was like a big moment and you're rising with your voice and getting all pumped up about it. And next thing you know, you're realizing there's nobody there to make you have to rise your voice even more. Um, we had to do it a little bit in San Diego uh, for the first time that I noticed anyway. Uh, that the people who were putting together the game presentation there, they were using uh, effects that they would increase and decrease as the play would go on. And uh, really kind of made it sound like actual fans were there. So I think, honestly, after playing the seven games in San Diego and broadcasting the games from down there and, and hearing how they handled that, uh, it prepped us for having uh, almost 11,500 fans here in Texas. It's been fun. It's been good to see human beings cheer and chant and, and get into some games. And, uh, hey, They've been treated to uh, five pretty uh, uh, entertaining games so far. Well, that walk-off win, I mean, that's one of the craziest we've ever seen in the mm-hmm. history of baseball. I mean, calling the play-by-play for that, I mean, wow. You know, you, you listen back, and, you know, Andy had the main play-by-play. My broadcast partner, Andy Freed, had the main uh, call for that. Uh, it was his ninth inning on that particular night. And uh, right before, um, you know, Brett Phillips came up, he was a local kid. Didn't even wasn't even on the roster in the LCS, and uh, I just said, you know what? Hey, miracles do happen, uh, you know, and, and maybe just maybe we'll get one right here. And all we really need is a single. We don't need a homer. We just need a base hit to tie the game. And lo and behold, um, you know, he, hit, he hits the base hit out there to right center field. And my first inclination is to make sure that KK got a great jump off of second base and was going to score. So that's really what I was watching. So I didn't see Taylor bobble the ball. I saw I saw Kiermaier score. I saw Rodney Lillard done as Randy Rosarena was rounding second, heading to third, continued to wave of home. That's when I looked up and I noticed that Taylor uh, had thrown the ball into the first baseman, and I'm thinking, what's going on there? And next thing you know, he kept. Uh, I see a Rosarena tumble and do a somersault, and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. He is going. He, we're going to get a a guy out between third and home because he tripped on his own helmet. Um, and and the, the the running joke about Randy Rosarena most of the season has been that when he loses his helmet, it's a good thing because that means he's running in the second or running in the third base. Well, this time he loses his helmet, it hits him on the back heel, and he stumbles because of it. And the the ball comes to the plate. I'm anticipating a rundown as he starts heading back to third. Then the ball gets away, and Randy goes uh, gets pointed back in the proper direction and scores the run. Uh, and, and then to see Brett Phillips' elation, uh, it, never, ever in my wildest dreams could you imagine a game in the World Series ending just like that. And, uh, you know, again, there's – We've been through some craziness. Uh, we, we had game 162 back in 2011 when Evan Longoria, you know, hit a home run to make it 7-6. to six, And then Dan Johnson comes up and hits the home run with two outs and two strikes to tie it. We had one of those moments uh, uh, this year, too, with, uh, you know, Mike Rosso hitting a two-out, two-strike home run against uh, uh, Aroldis Chapman in the ALDS. So, uh, and, and the funny thing about this, too, is Dan Johnson throughout the ceremony of first pitch before game four. So that all brought us back to, are we going to have a Dan Johnson moment here, maybe with Brett Phillips? And sure enough, we did. You know, Rosa Rain is playing like an all-time great. I mean, what he has done this postseason, I know there's extra games, but still what he's done and breaking records, is he really this good? I think I, I, I don't know if he can maintain this, this pace throughout a 162-game schedule, but I think we're finding out that he is a really, really good player 
who uh, might only get better because he still has some uh, uh, rough edges around him as far as you know his game is concerned. And uh, you know, right now he's he's made the adjustments as the postseason went on. Uh, he was turning around fastballs early on. Some pitchers then tried to get him with some breaking pitches. He's hit those out of the ballpark. They pitched him in. They pitched him out. Uh, he's getting base hits. He's not just hitting home runs. I mean, here in the postseason, in the World Series especially, I know people are sitting there going, well, maybe he's not quite as toasty. He's still hitting three thirty three uh, so far in the post in this World Series with a couple of home runs. Honestly, we would not be here uh, in Arlington, Texas, if it, if it wasn't for Randy Rosarena and Dusty Baker. Um, I, I To this day, I still don't know why Dusty Baker – kept on pitching to him in the last three games of the ALCS when nobody else on this team was hitting maybe outside of Manuel Margot. I mean, I would have made anybody else on the Tampa Bay Rays beat him uh, over those last few games, and especially in game number seven. For whatever reason, Dusty Baker let his pitchers keep on pitching to him, and I'm thankful that he did. Let's end on this. Give me the blueprint for the Rays to win the next two games and bring home the world championship. We, we just have to we have to challenge these Dodger hitters. Blake Snell showed what he can do for the first four innings in going after Dodger hitters. He was uh, maybe not as efficient as you would like. He, you know, even in the one, two, three, fourth inning, I think he threw 21 pitches. He's got to avoid deep counts. He's got to go after them, make a pitch when he needs to, and keep them in the ballpark. We've had trouble. Uh, as much as we've hit home runs, our pitching staff, I think, has given up uh, 30 home runs so far. i got to look that number up uh, in the in, in the postseason, we've given up 11 home runs so far in the first five games of this World Series. So uh, keep him in the ballpark. Same thing with Charlie Morton. You got to look for. A, you know, we're we're not going to get there by a game four blueprint. I don't think we cannot go out there and expect to beat the Dodgers eight to seven. We got to try and beat the Dodgers four to two, maybe even five to three. We know they're going to score some runs, but we can't help their offense out. And I think we've been doing that a little bit too much so far the first five games we've been walking way too many batters we have 23 strike uh, 23 walks in the first five games um that's just way too much so anticipate us throwing some strikes uh and, and then we got to get the timely hit uh you know that kind of we, we had six men lead off the inning in game five uh, with either a single or a walk and only one of them came around to score i'm not sure of the metrics i used to hear it was about 45 to 50 percent of the time lead off people who reach score uh so if we had you know done our usual 50 percent we might still be playing or we might even win that game. So I think we got to be a lot more opportunistic offensively. And then I just, I'd like to see if, if you're going to go down to this Dodger team, let them hit the ball out of the ballpark, but not don't, don't start giving them free passes because that just gets you into more trouble. Well, I got to tell you, one of the cool things MLB uh, radio on uh, Sirius XM, what they've been doing is airing your guys's broadcast and, uh, no offense to the national guys, but it's been a real treat because you, you can also listen to it uh, on the XM app, uh, whether it's in your car or on your phone. It's been really great listening to you guys. Your broadcast is outstanding. So it's been a lot of fun. Good luck to you guys. Hopefully two hey, more wins and bring home the World Series. That'd be great. And, hey, thanks for the kind words and uh, love joining you guys. Thanks, so, thanks for having me. It really is a terrific broadcast. They are really, really, they're entertaining. They're funny. They're insightful. Um, I've enjoyed it. And that's one thing about uh, XM is they've been running the local broadcasts because, you know, XM already has ESPN radio and ESPN has the rights. That's the national broadcast with friend of the program, Dan Schulman. But on MLB network radio, there, you know, you can listen to the Rays. It's the Dodgers. I mean, I just, I, the home broadcast to me is just better. 
because you really know the team. That's the difference. The national guys. I mean, you could tell the nationals, you know, the national people have no idea about the A's. They're all on the East Coast. I mean, to be fair, all these guys are normally on the East Coast. Our games don't start till 10.07 their time. For God's sakes, we play three-plus-hour games. So, I mean, there's a reason why the East Coast people don't know as much about our teams. It was like, oh, they don't give the Warriors the love. I mean, the Warrior game doesn't start till like, 10.47 their time. Remember, after they do the fireworks and the guys come out with the flags and the cheerleaders and they announce all the players, Warrior games aren't tipping off till what, 7.45, 46, something like that? Well, that's 10 o'clock. That's almost 11 o'clock there. How the hell are people going to stay up and watch that? Especially when you got to get up and work the next day. I uh, I went back and pulled the audio if you want to hear it. I pulled uh, Andy Freed and uh, Dave Willis's call of the uh, Brett Phillips uh, final bat. So it's like 45 seconds, so I'll just play it, and you can see how, how – like Joe Buck's call was good, but this is what you want to hear. And the pitch on the way. Swing, line drive, right center. It's a base hit. Kiermaier around third. He scores the tying run to third base and being waved home and falling down. And now they've got a call between third and home. The ball gets away. It is score, Rosarena. The Rays have won. There's your Dan Johnson moment. Oh, my. They're trying to catch him in the outfield, and they can't. That has got to be one of the most unlikely endings to a World Series game in the history of baseball. The Rays have won it 8-7 on a base hit by Phillips and a comedy of errors by the Los Angeles Dodgers. And this World Series is tied at two games apiece. So there you go, Andy Freed and, and Dave Wills on the Rays radio broadcast. Yeah, you get the emotion. You get, you know, these guys are, are invested. You know, you get the emotion that we have when 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 doing A's games or after A's games. You know, because because the national guys really don't know the players; they're not there about the story. I mean, you get to know the players. You know, especially in a in a regular year, the play by play guy. I mean, they're they're Ken and Vince travel with the team. You know, Ray Fossey, Glenn Kuyper. I mean, these guys, they know the players. They'll have meals with the players. They know these guys. So it's different than just the national guy rolling in and calling a game. I mean, you can hear it in their voice. I don't think the Rays have it in them. I think you can nickel and dime it and get really far. But in the end, they just don't have the talent the Dodgers do. Well, if you just uh, stop the Dodgers from scoring 60% of the runs with two outs, you might be able to beat them in a game. They give up every team. It's not just them. It's every team in the postseason. 60% of the Dodgers' runs scored have come with two outs. That is incredible to hear. And the Dodgers – and, and why is that? Why, why? Timely hitting, I guess. I, don't, I, don't, I can't explain it, to be honest. It's very explainable. They put the ball in play. They make a lot of hard contact. They are not built like the A's and the Rays. They hit a lot of home runs, but they score runs in a lot of different ways because they make good quality contact. 
they're tough to strike out. They, they, they'll look at a lot of pitches. They'll fell off a lot of pitches. They grind the at-bats. I mean, I'll just, I, didn't even, I haven't even looked at the box score for it, but I'll look. Hold on. Looking at yesterday's box score. So they struck out eight times. I mean, for like an A's team, you'd be ecstatic if they only struck out eight times, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, these guys are tough. To, I mean, they're tough. That lineup is long, and every guy that comes up, one through nine, can hurt you. Let's see, how many walks did they have? Five walks, eight strikeouts. Two for six with runners in scoring position. And, and look at the Rays. I mean, the Rays leave a lot of guys on base. And they don't make a lot of great contact. I mean, God, look at these averages of their team. 143, 143. They've got three guys. They had, okay, so you had Choi hitting 143, Lowe hitting 143, Renfro hitting 130, 143, Meadows hitting 154, Wendell hitting 133. I mean, look at the, I mean, seriously. <laughs> They got a lot of guys who just don't make contact. Now, when they do, they hit the ball of the ballpark. Yeah, they left 18 guys on base last night. 18. And one of them was uh, when they tried to have a, a straight seal of home in the fourth inning when Manuel Mar- Manuel Margot thought he had it. And Kershaw is really – it takes a long time to get to the plate. So I don't – I don't, you know, get on him for not wanting – or not trying for, – for trying to seal home because Kershaw does have a long motion to the plate. But kudos to Kershaw and Austin Barnes for handling that in a perfect way, and Barnes are blocking the plate and getting the tag in there. You said the Dodgers struck out eight times. Seven of them were against Glass now. They didn't strike out again until the ninth inning against Ryan Thompson. So the Dodgers faced – they faced Loop, uh, Castillo, and Sheriff, and none of them struck out. They didn't strike out against any of those guys. So they put the ball in play. And then they struck out once against Thompson in the one inning he worked, and he also walked a guy. So they they're they're so fundamentally sound. I just can't. Their struggle sometimes just it baffles me with their inability to to win out like, to win a World Series. I, I hate. I don't want to see it happen this year, but I think it's going to happen. But I think it's going to happen in seven games. I I think the Rays have one game left that they're going to eke out, and then it's going to go to Game Seven. And because I I don't want to see I don't want to see. Uh, Who's would be Gonsolin be starting tomorrow, and they said he's going to go more than just being an opener. Here's a list of guys that pitched in Dodgers World Series clinching victories. In 1955, Johnny, uh, is it? It's P O D R. Is that Pudres? Padres? Pudres? Johnny Padres. Johnny Padres. 59. Johnny Padres. Then 63 and 65, some Kofax guy. 81. Ooh. Bert Hooten. And then 88, some guy named Oral Hershiser who had, like, the, one of the greatest runs ever uh, in the postseason. So do you really think Tony Gonsolin's going to be out of that list or will it be Walker Bueller in game seven? So I, I think the Rays get one more. We, ha- we have a seven-game World Series because I think that's what we all want to see. Uh, for At least for me, I want to see seven games. I think seven, the, game seven is always the most exciting thing to see in sports. And if we could have another game like game four with Brett Phillips and the airplane and all that, I mean, that'd be, that'd be great to see tomorrow night. 
I do think it's better for baseball that the Dodgers win. I just, it, it, in the end, for the bit, I mean, obviously, um, there's a lot of people, especially in our area, that don't like the Dodgers. I hear you. I'm just saying for the sport, because they are built on stars, they have star players, they've been winning for years, it's market two, it's, it's a bigger deal than if the Rays win. I mean, you have you have Hall of Fame type players. Kershaw's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I would I would buy stock in Mookie Betts being a Hall of Famer. I would buy stock in Cody Bellinger. I mean, you've got some really great players on that team to where the Rays, anybody they have now is not going to be there anytime soon once they start making money. I don't like that trend. I understand what they do. I respect what they do. I don't know if it's good for the game, though. Like, who benefits from the Rays winning the World Series? I mean, their own market doesn't even support them. And I just I just don't know how. I mean, Cody, if you could give me a good answer, uh, tell me how baseball benefits from the Rays winning the World Series. The only argument you can make is the argument of it shows that you don't need to spend a ton of money to win a World Series. And that's the only one that I can actually think of off the top of my head because, again, growing up as a fan of small market team, being the Pirates and the A's, they're both small market. The Pirates are totally a small market team. They don't win, but they've had a couple years where they were trying to win, and they'll get back there eventually. The Rays have been contending since 2010. They've been a competitive team. This is now their second World Series. I think it helps in just the idea that you don't need to spend $300 million on your payroll to win the World Series. But also, I don't think I agree with you in the long term because a lot of these guys on this Rays team, with the exception of a Brandon Lau and a, and a, and a Blake Snell who are under contract that they signed you know, last year and two years ago that they don't make that much money, all these guys aren't going to be there. Is future Hall of Famer Randy Rosarena going to be there his whole career? Probably not. And we're joking about him being a future Hall of Famer, but you never know. I mean, they they, they could be playing in Montreal, for God's sakes. I mean, this is this is why, I you know, I, I don't see what good comes out of this other than the line of, hey, listen, somebody won and they didn't spend money. Yay. That's really well, about it. That's like the only thing you can really think of. But let me ask you in your life, where is that good? Where is that good where people are su- super successful and super cheap? Well, how does that benefit anybody? It benefits the owner. It benefits the, the guys in the front office. But other than that, I don't know who this really benefits. Yeah, because a lot of these guys, once they win and they're known as champions, all these guys are going to want more money because of the, their value they've done that they've done to the team and the service they've done for the team and the community by winning a bring a World Series World Series championship to them. And do you think a lot of people want to see potentially three of the four major sports championships being won at Tampa Bay with the Lightning, the Rays, and uh, Tom Brady and Tampa Bay? Three out of the four major sports could have come from Tampa Bay this year if that happens. I mean, that's that's well, that's crazy in itself to think that. And- and, and that takes me to the next trend that scares me is that, you know, it's like everybody started talking about, hey, look at what the Astros did. Well, do you want a third of your teams tanking? 
I mean, you really want that? You really think that it's good to have a third of your teams not trying to win? I think that's bad for the sport. I agree. And it, I was on board with what the Astros did because they eventually got really good instead of the Cubs. And then you have teams that have been trying to get that aren't getting good at it. The the Detroit's getting better, but they're not there. The Pirates, they're not really tanking. They, they'll never say they're tanking, but they they stink. And it's going to take years for them. Uh, the Royals are, are, are getting uh, marginally better. Uh, the Orioles the same way. Like, it's all these teams are trying to, like – I think it's a lightning in the bottle kind of thing with, with baseball with the Astros. Like you have to hit on like every draft pick, and they didn't hit on every draft pick. Mark Capel is not playing. Brady Aiken's not there. Yeah, they got lucky with the guys like Correa and and Springer and Bregman, but a lot of the guys they drafted aren't playing or they're hurt or it, it's it's a crapshoot. It's what it is, and that's why the Cubs they spent money, but they also drafted well, and they're not winning now. They haven't won a championship since they won four years ago. But I'm with you on tanking, and I think it decent a deincentivizes teams are trying to win, but that's why now if you add more teams in the playoffs, you can cut down on the number of tank, uh, teams tanking. Well, the, the, that, that goes to Commissioner Towney. Uh, I would try and implement, if you're going to put this taxation on these teams at the top to try and keep them from spending, right? Because that's what the luxury, the luxury tax essentially is, it's a cap. Because they hit you so hard if you stay over that cap. The amount of money you get taxed, then you start losing draft picks. So what do we keep hearing? Got to get under the cap. Once you get under the – or you got to get under the luxury tax to reset everything. Well, if you're going to do that, then you should have a floor too. You should You should tell teams that – you should tell teams – that if you okay, you want to spend under let's just call it thirty million. For every dollar you're under thirty million, you're going to get taxed. If you're going to do that to the top spending teams, then you got to make the smaller team. It's like the NFL. I mean, at some point you've got to spend the money. You just can't say, "Yeah, we're not paying anybody." That's not how the NFL works. Because your TV money basically covers your roster. I love the idea of making your Rays or your uh, Marlins or the Tigers or whoever saying, all right, yeah, you can, you can, you can go low and not spend a lot on your roster. But if you go too low, you're going to get taxed. Just like the teams, if they go too high, they get taxed. No, and I, then how much, how much would that change? Like the spending of the Rays? I think it changes a lot because then you're going to have to start – I mean, they. it's not that they won't spend. Like, we've seen that they spent money on Charlie Morton. They gave him $15 million a year. That's the biggest free agent contract they've ever ever given out. The Dodgers, the biggest contract they've given out under Andrew Freeman was the Justin Turner deal. That, or um, Yeah, the Justin Turner deal when they – or no, sorry. A.J. Pollock was the biggest free agent that they, that they signed to come in. It was only like $60 million. But I agree with you. I think the, the idea of having a floor is a good idea. Well, if I if I had fifteen million dollars, Sarah Langs, I would sign her in a second. I give her a multi year deal. I'd say, hey, I, I, she'd be like Barry Bonds to me. I'd give her the lounge chair, like eight lockers in the clubhouse. She'd be my Barry Bonds. Oh my goodness! Hello, what an entrance! Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, we were just talking about it. You know, the thing that I'm not sure if the Rays win that this is good for baseball. And the reason why I say that is 
I hate I I personally I hate people who are cheap. It drives me nuts. It really drives me nuts. I can tell you, having buried both my parents, you can't take the money to the grave with you. I hate cheap. The razor cheap. And I I you know if I was the commissioner, and I think the players union would love this. Because you know that luxury tax essentially is a cap because teams don't want to, you know, they don't want to stay over it and keep paying the tax and losing draft picks. I think we should have, if we're going to have a luxury tax on the teams who want to spend and win, I think we should have a luxury tax at the bottom. So if you're so cheap and go below that, you got to pay taxes. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think it's an interesting – we just have such an interesting comparison here with these two teams, with the fact that Andrew Friedman has at times, you know, run each of them and the fact that when he went to L.A. it was, okay, he can do what he was doing with the Rays, but do it with a team that is more willing to spend. And I, I do think that there's something with validating the way of building a team that doesn't involve necessarily going out and buying a high-priced free agent or paying a lot of money to go – uh, re-sign, you know, a player who you brought through your system and who is really, really good. But I, I don't know. I, I view them much more through the lens of they're using certain types of analytics. They're considered to be very much at the forefront of a lot of things. So I would view it as a win for that, which is related, obviously, to way they, the way they spend money and the way that they assess value. But I don't see it as exactly hand in hand, you know? Yeah, because for me, you know, analytics winning is not – It's it, it, to me it's not – because what ends up happening is it's it's kind of like the Astros where people started going to get Astros employees that have been doing the same thing with the Rays. Well, then all of a sudden you start looking up, and then, Sarah, we got a third of the teams are tanking. I mean, that's yeah. not good for your league when you have X amount of teams flat out saying, you know what, we're not trying to win. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, as a fan of all sports, I always wish that there was less of the idea of tanking, whether it's more outright, like you sometimes get in the NBA or not. Um, you know, baseball, it's so much more complicated anyway because of the draft and, you know, the value of the first round pick is not necessarily the same as getting, you know, your LeBron or Kyrie Irving or whoever else it might be in an NBA draft. But I mean, the truth is that no matter who wins this World Series, it's a win for... I think analytics and certain ways of running your team. Uh, but no, I, I think that we all want to see a team go out, spend a ton of money. And then with that player that they signed, go out and win the world series. I mean, it took some time, but that's kind of what the nationals did last year. I mean, Juan Soto helped a lot and obviously he's homegrown, but Max Scherzer was like one of the biggest pitcher contracts ever. And that then eventually led to a world series. And there's no question that he led to it. So I do agree with you that, you know, we, we'd all rather see that happen. I think it's just more fun when we see these big deals and then we can correlate them to a World Series title, you know? Well, uh, speaking of uh, tanking, ooh, uh, New York football? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, Giants? Yeah. It's like, what? Like, seriously? Market number <laughs> one? There's only one win a month, right? There's only one win between the yeah. two? Yeah, I uh, I will admit I don't follow uh, football as closely as I used to now that I work just so day in and day out with baseball, especially over the last like three or four years. But I keep being shocked to see that the Jets not not shocked that the Jets haven't won a game, but like shocked that that can continue to happen somehow. I I really there's a reason that you know I'm just going to keep watching baseball. It's okay. Yeah, I it's mean, really it's, okay. You talk about a long winter in New York, boy. Oh boy, yeah. I've you know. 
when I was there with the Raiders taking on the Jets, it was like, man, the media was so all over them. And I'm thinking, man, they can't win now. That's got to be uh, unbelievable. So when you start looking at this World Series, you got two games left. What what kind of what kind of odds do you give the Rays to win both of these games? Yeah, you know, it's so hard. I mean, it's interesting because they've all these teams have alternated wins, you know, in each of the first five of these. So we haven't really seen anyone get completely going with momentum, if you want to include that or any sort of sentiment like that. There hasn't really been any. I mean, it felt like the Rays had it after that crazy win in game four. Then the Dodgers come out and win. And, you know, even going back to the beginning of the series, we haven't seen a team string together two wins. I, I think that the next game is winnable. I, I think that I know Snell hasn't gone deep into games in what now 20 straight starts. He hasn't completed six innings. So, and he's not an opener for them. So it's not what they want out of him, um, but he's just pretty inefficient. So I know he puts them in a tougher spot than you would want from your Cy Young starter. But I do think that, you know, I'll, I'll take him over Tony Gonsolin in that start in that game. Uh, for the Rays, as opposed to the Dodgers. I, I really don't know once you get to a game seven. I mean, I can't think of two teams that feel more unpredictable when it comes to a game seven, if we were to get there, than these two with bullpen unreliabilities and the fact that they're both pretty, you know, piecemeal with how they use the bullpen, even when the guys are working well. Um, and everything else. I mean, if we get to a game seven, we're talking, is Kershaw coming in? We're having all of those conversations. We'll oh, see what God. Walker Bueller can do. We're talking about his blister again. I mean, game seven would be a conglomeration of a lot of things, but the Rays do have to get there. But I feel pretty confident they could win tomorrow. I mean, we'll, we'll see. They're going to, you know, there'll be 10 runs in the first inning and I'll be wrong. But uh, it feels like the Rays can win Tuesday's game. You know, I, 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 if you're a Rays starter, and I just wonder, I mean, you're basically conditioned that when you're warming up in the bullpen, you know that your time is limited. It's not like they say, here's the ball, go get them. You know that you get into any trouble in the fourth inning. You get into any trouble in the fifth inning. You give up one run, you're coming out. And I wonder the psyche of these starting pitchers for the Rays, like Glass now, it's like, I mean, I don't always want to be looking over my shoulder. Like, have my it's like your boss is always looking over your shoulder. So it's like, how how productive are you going to be if you always know? So I make one bad move and I'm coming out. Yeah, I mean, I wonder about that. But then you know, if you go back to the start where Snell got lifted and he wasn't, he looked maybe a little unhappy with it. Um, I I honestly forget if that was no, that wasn't the World Series. That was in uh in the ALCS, I believe. He he looked a little uncertain, and it was kind of un. It was uncertain whether that was him mad at himself, him mad at what was happening or anything else. But these guys have been on this team and they know this is how it goes. So as much as they may not love that and they may not be conditioned to that in terms of the way you're pitching in high school and college and everything leading up to here, they've been here. So I do think that they are used to it to a point. And obviously the one that keeps coming up is Charlie Morton in game seven. And it worked out and it worked out for Kevin Cash. And some people would say that, you know, we're only talking about it because it did work out. And if it didn't work out, we would be having an entirely different conversation. But Charlie Morton did say after the game, you know, this is this is what I knew would happen. Um, but that being said, you know, you, you think of aces on other teams who go seven innings. I mean, it's an entirely different ball game. It's an entirely different setup. So. I can't imagine that it isn't a little disorienting, whether it's to start when you're first acclimating or anything else. 
So what is it like for you watching the game and you actually see someone steal a base? <laughs> we actually saw someone try and steal home. I what, know. What's going through your mind when you see that? How much fun was that? I mean, I I thought that was such a fun play. I know that the percentages might say he maybe shouldn't have gone, but Kershaw was rolling at that point. If you, and he's a good base dealer and he's fast. If he thinks that he sees something and that he can get there, I, I, I know Kevin Cash said after the game that, you know, Margot thought he had something and that's why he went and he supports that. And you have to support your players. So I understand you might, we might see it just as that. But I, I agreed with him. I mean, I, I trust Margot on the base pass based on what I've seen from him. I loved it as just mixing it up, doing something different, catch them off guard. Yeah. I mean, that is not something we're used to. I, I watched a post-game interview. They were talking to Corey Seager, and they asked him to say, you know, what happened in that moment. And he was just talking about how they were all yelling at Kershaw to get off the mound so he wouldn't balk, right? Like, you're even that close to that happening and getting the run that way. So I, I thought it was great. I thought it was really fun. I mean, it was wild to me that we hadn't seen someone try to steal base, steal home home plate in a World Series since 2002. I mean, even try. Even try. I know it's not a normal play. I know it's not a thing that happens all the time. I'm not recommending it based on analytics or anything else because none of those would be in favor of this. But it is a fun play. Catch your opponent off guard, and it could be the right moment. And maybe it's only the right moment once every 18 years, but it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's because when Kershaw raises his hands up high, yep. I mean, if you time it right, the only thing that I, I've ever thought about with stealing home is the guy at the plate has to be on board because yep. you're coming down that line. And if this guy takes a swing, <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. You got it. Like, everybody's <laughs> got to be on board here. If I'm going home, uh, obviously yes. Kershaw stepping off, but I mean, that is a scary, but I like it. I like to see the different things, yeah. you know, it's like in football, you blitz. There's going to be times a quarterback sees it, goes deep, and you lose, or there's times you're going to get the sack, but try something. Make our game. I, I, I like the fact that this World Series has been interesting, right? We're seeing yeah. a lot of different things, so it's interesting baseball, which I think has been very key. Definitely. I And that's what's so fun about these teams, I mean – I, maybe I didn't even sell it right at the beginning by saying analytics, but I think that these are two teams that think differently. We don't need to get into analytics. We don't need to get into that. It doesn't have to do with percentages or numbers they're looking at, but I think that these are two teams that have an inordinate amount of depth in different ways. The Dodgers have depth in a million guys who are superstar level players who we all know, and the Rays have depth in a bunch of guys who are also really good at a bunch of little different things that all adds up to this really good team. And seeing those teams on this stage, like this is their time to show off and show all of these different things. So I, I, I thought that was a great play. I mean, I, I, you know, if he had been, I mean, I can't even imagine if he had been safe and it looked like he almost maybe might've been, but I, I can't imagine if Manuel Margot joined the list of like absolutely outstanding <laughs> hall of fame level players who've stolen home plate in a world series. I mean, yeah. Brad Fulmer's on the list too. I know it's not all perfect, but like, the names, I mean, I was looking over it last night. It's like, Monty, we know Jackie Robinson, of course, straight seal of home. That was the last successful straight seal of home in a World Series. But, like, Tim McCarver, which I had to stare at three times. Great Tim name. Carver's Did not home? realize. Yeah. Wow. Game seven in 1964. That was really fun. But great name. We got Monty Irvin. You have, like, Bob Musel in the early days. You have 
Jimmy Slagle, who has been on like 15 notes I've looked up about stolen bases this World Series. So I've learned a lot about him in that time uh, because of Mookie Betts and his two games with two stolen bases. But uh, it would just be really cool if we had Manny Margot on that list. You know, I, I know we're playing way more games than, than anyone's ever played. So whenever I hear a Rosarena's done this or someone's done that, but but I, I just the amount of games and as you as a big baseball fan and truly one of the great researchers uh, and, and follows on uh, follow on Twitter. Um, I just love that we have like tonight. It's like weird. We don't we don't have a game tonight. I just love the volume, even though everybody's freaked out about the volume of games we have gotten as a baseball fan. How much fun has this been for you? Oh my gosh. I mean, so we had like our first real off day in what, like three weeks last Monday, uh, because it was the day before the world series, but that didn't even really feel like an off day to me because I mean, I, first of all, I wasn't off, but it didn't feel like an off day because we're hyping game one of the world series. We're getting ready for all of this. And then all of a sudden we go, and then we're off on Thursday. And I did not know what to do with myself on Thursday because like hyping game three of the World Series isn't quite the same thing. So it was like this silence. And you realize that we hadn't had a day off within a series other than the one rain out that the Marlins and Cubs had like way back in the wild card series when it was pretty much still September. It was like October 2nd. Um, we hadn't had a day off within a series. I mean, this has been amazing. I, I know that it's, it's not great. It's not great for these teams. It's not great for how they're built you know, and how they're used to approaching the playoffs to not have any days off during a series until we got to the World Series. And I know it's not great. You know, these guys need some sort of rest. They're putting themselves out there at the highest level, you know, absolutely like athlete level that I can't even imagine. But as a fan and as a reporter and researcher and sitting at home and watching all of this, the fact that there there hasn't been any time to breathe has been amazing. I mean, it's been so much fun. And then here we are today. And I'm like, I guess I go grocery shopping. Like, I, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to do? And then in two days, even if we get a game seven, three days from now, it's all over. And I'm like, then what? You know? Yeah. And, and Dave Wills, the play-by-play man for the Rays, he was on right before you. And, you know, the reality is, and it's not fun to talk about, but it is true. And Scott Emerson, our pitching coach, said it at one point. He was on the show. He's like, I haven't seen my wife or my dog since July. A lot of these Rays guys are young. They haven't seen their girlfriends in weeks, weeks. Like I was saying, like the longest I've been gone was uh, the couple times we went to Tokyo to play the Mariners and then down at spring training, went to Vegas and then uh, down to Arizona for a week. I think the longest I've been away from my kids is maybe nine, 10 days. These guys have been away from wives, girlfriends, kids for almost a month. When you start thinking about, because remember the bubble kind of started there for these teams at the end. And if you didn't get in the bubble, because let's face it, if you have young kids, certain parts of the country with school and all that kind of stuff, I just, what these guys have been going through is just unbelievable. Absolutely. And I, I think we already talked about this where, I mean, I already think that whoever wins this year, I mean, we're going to look back at this year in so many different ways. You know, we're going to look back at this year and say, oh, he only played 60 games in the regular season. We're going to go look back at this year and say, well, Randy Rosarena played 20, 21 postseason games. That's more than anybody else. But we're also going to look back at this and say, wow, whoever won this World Series, they dealt with so much. I mean, so much more 
than any other season. I mean, I'm thinking back to like the last thing that I would even view as comparable and I wasn't alive, so I'm not trying to make a poor comparison would be, you know, during wartime and dealing with the idea that maybe you should be off fighting or having come back from something like that. And it's still different because it wasn't something that was present on our land and affecting everybody in some sort of way. But the fact that you're dealing with that kind of separation, I mean, I, I, I don't know how they're dealing with it. And it's made me, I mean, you know, not everyone has their families there with them, but it has been really nice to see the families there with some of the players now. Um, in the, I, I think starting with the NLCS and then, you know, the series that were happening in Arlington. I mean, Clayton Kershaw last night, I don't know if you saw his post-game press conference, but his kids were in his way, like popping up in front of the camera and he's apologizing and, you know, that which he shouldn't be because it was wonderful. Um, but it's nice to see that. And it's just a reminder, like, especially right now, like these guys are human too. And more so than ever, that's so important because we're all dealing with this and we're all struggling with this in different ways. And we talk about it a lot because the California teams, I mean, look at everything that the California teams went through. Okay. So we're all doing the, we're having to do with the pandemic. Uh, Then the social injustice and then our air quality because of the fires. You realistically could have said that game we played up in Seattle should have never been played. That double header we played and that in the smoke to where it looked like it was fog. I mean, there's a, there's a, I mean, it looked like there was fog, not Safeco. Was it T-Mobile now? It looked like it was, they, they, they talked about, it was so bad. And then you had the hurricane, Sarah, that was supposed to going to hit almost Houston as the A's were gone. I mean, there's been so yeah. many things that have happened here. And uh, uh, yeah, I think whoever wins this, I will look back and we may be talking about this again next year, but I'm going to look back at how mentally strong Yes. The World Series champion had to be to win this whole thing, playing more playoff games than ever before. I mean, it's just it's unreal. Absolutely. And it's like everything that people, you know, love to well, actually, on Twitter of, oh, well, he has more hits. Will he play more games and everything else? Like, I would just turn back at them and say, like, yeah, he's doing all this in a pandemic, you know, and that's not a specific. Key. It could be a Rosarina. It could be anybody. But, you know, they're doing this in a pandemic. They're doing this during a really difficult time for this country for so many reasons. And, you know, it was so great for all of us to get to watch baseball this year. I'm so glad that we got baseball. I'm so glad we got to watch it for so long. I'm so glad we got these expanded playoffs because I'm so glad there have been so many games, you know, and at the very least, like, you know, this was really great. Well, let me give you a glass half full, and we got it from Liam Hendricks, the American League Reliever of the Year. He got the Mariano, Mariano Revere Award. He said something earlier today on this on this show that kind of like it made me realize hope, right? Because you know, we we I did I did all sixty games, and I did it from my house. I didn't go to a ballpark. Cody didn't yeah. go to a ballpark, right? Our governor wanted like nobody in the ballpark, basically. So. He said, hey, we got through this. We learned how to get through this, which made me realize, you know, he is right. Yep. Major League Baseball to the NBA to the NHL, uh, now with football, they're learning how to get through this. That kind of gives – does that give you hope for yeah. first season? Yeah, I mean, I think the entire existence of this year – the fact that I know we had some, you know, there were some issues with cases early on. There were the Cardinals, there were the Marlins. There were some things a little bit later down the road, but overall, what is it? 50 something straight days now with no positive tests. Like I think all of that gives us a really good blueprint for the future because I mean, 
you know, not as <laughs> I'm not an expert in this, but my understanding is that I don't think the world is going to look that much different on April 1st next year. I mean, I don't know for sure, but just reading case numbers and looking at graphs and everything else that's available to all of us, it doesn't feel like, you know, by spring training time or opening day time next year, it's going to be very different. So I think seeing what has transpired and seeing how well overall it did work, and I think it's fair to say that even with the hiccups that there were, is really, really good to see. So I, I'm so glad Liam said that. And I'm so glad to hear that he thinks that, you know, because I can sit here and say that, but I did everything from home this year too. I wasn't dealing with those protocols. I wasn't dealing with all of those things. I was dealing with, hey, here's a here's a feed, watch this game, or here's, you know, MLB TV, watch this game. So the fact that a player who's part of all of this also feels that way is honestly even more encouraging to me. Hey, let's really be honest. You had that very tough trek over to Secaucus, New Jersey. And the fact that you did that for all of us, that was big. Well, you know, when I go there, they ask, uh, they ask like what states you've been in in the last 14 days or something like that. And I'm always just like, I haven't been anywhere. Like, am I supposed to have been somewhere? I don't, I don't know. And the answer is always, well, I was in New Jersey here for you guys two weeks ago. And then here I am in Connecticut. And then here I am going back to New Jersey. <laughs> Uh, I, I can't remember the super rich guy who wants to buy the Mets. Uh, what's going on with that? Because that really, the Will Ponds being out, bringing this guy who's worth like $6 billion in, and it's all of a sudden like, we could have some fun Yankee Mets going after each other. It could be, you know, some off seasons like the old days. Yeah, I mean, based on everything that I've seen, that seems to be what people expect him to do, you know, is – you know, have that money out there and it be spendable and hopefully them be kind of in competition for some of those big free agents. I mean, I, I don't know. I get the sense. I just feel like George Springer is going to end up on one of these East Coast teams. So I feel like the Mets could be in the mix there. That could be a lot of fun. I, I don't know that. I'm not reporting a rumor. I'm just guessing, you know, but I, I feel like I, I don't think he's going to stay in Houston. It doesn't seem that way. I mean, just from watching his post-game press conference when they got eliminated or anything else. And he's from New Britain, Connecticut. So the Red Sox and the Mets make a lot of sense because, you know, you, I mean, it's, I've, that's very near to ESPN. It's two hours either way, Boston or New York. So I, I like it from that sense. I think that he could make a lot of sense for either of those teams. Um, obviously the Red Sox with Jackie Bradley Jr. now gone. Uh, I also think any team would be so lucky to have JT Real Muto. Um, any of these teams that doesn't really have like a marquee catcher right now, and there aren't that many of them. Uh, you guys have a great young one in Sean Murphy, but uh, you know, the Mets could certainly use a catcher and Real Muto would be a, a good get. Well, Steve Cohen looks like he's going to buy it for like 2.5 billion. So uh, obviously I should have got into hedge funds. I picked the wrong business. Uh, this guy's rolling in with a lot of cash. And that's the kind of you, – you want a guy rolling in with a lot of cash and a, and a guy who wants to win. Yeah, and I, I think part of his story is that he grew up a Mets fan. So, obviously, there's that personal connection that, like, he wants his Mets to be good. Um, I mean, having grown up in New York and, you know, the Mets always being kind of the second team or whatever, you know, there's, there's no denying that it would be really, really cool to see them competing on that level in terms of player acquisition. I think that would be really cool. And I also think that if they want to compete with how good the Braves have looked, and I know they stumbled towards the end of the playoffs, but they also didn't have Mike Soroka, who was like second in rookie of the year voting last year and really, really good. They didn't have him after the first, what, two starts of the year. I think that if they want to be competing there, 
they they need to be going after some guys. So it seems like really good timing because, you know, the Marlins had a weird year. I don't know that the Marlins year tells us they're going to be good next year, but they seem to be trying to build towards something. And you want to be in that boat trying to build towards something too. Let's end on this. Are you going to be shocked if we're doing a lot of the same as we did this year, next year, where it's West Coast teams play each other? I know your mother is a doctor and she's in the uh, virus business. Um, so you probably know more than we do. But are you going to be shocked if it's kind of East Coast, you guys play each other, Central, West, the kind of the same thing? Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like a lot of the way that things went might continue to go on. I mean, again, I don't have any actual information on that, but again, just based on my understanding of the virus and everything else, I think that the, um, I think it worked pretty well playing within the divisions and within the same division in the other league. I mean, it was kind of fun when in the first round, all of the matchups were teams that hadn't faced each other in the first round, except for the blue Jays and the Rays. And so it's kind of fun how that sets up the playoffs almost more towards what you used to get when in the World Series, the teams hadn't faced each other in forever unless they'd been in the World Series because there was no interleague. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see some version of that. I mean, I don't know enough of kind of the details of how all the travel happened. I mean, I'm sure there's an argument to be made that like a central team could play an East team because it's not really that much longer of a flight. So maybe if we're playing 162 games, maybe it makes more sense to overlap a little bit more. Um, but it did seem like it went pretty well. I don't think there was any fatigue. All of the matchups we saw were pretty fun and it didn't seem like there was any travel that was like prohibitive in any way with the virus, which obviously is the primary goal. You are, I could talk to you all day. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You are the best. (laughs) Enjoy these uh, next two games and let's uh, hook up and talk next week and go over. Sounds great. Thank you, you so much for having me. Here. Great to see you. The great Sarah Langs join us right here on A's Cast Live. And if you don't follow her on Twitter, I'm telling you right now, you're, you're missing out. Because her research, Cody, you're good, but you're like A-ball compared to her. You're like you're like Modesto, Visalia. She's the big leagues. You're, you're looking at this all wrong. She's like a – how can I put this without – I'm like a lower level employee, and she's like the, the like top of the level. I'm just the guy like trying to find my trying to find my way through the organization. She's Tom Brady, and you're a backup quarterback with a clipboard with a visor. Yeah, I'm a, I'm Ben DiNucci, the 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 new, the new quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Who? <laughs> exactly. He looks like a guy. I, that... I, I, you just, your text finally just came in. Thanks, Steve Cohen. Yeah. You're late. I Thanks said, for helping. I remember. I, Who's the rich guy who's buying the Mets? Well, apparently that vote is coming out in the next couple of days because I saw that someone, one of the guys that covers the Mets, just say that uh, Cohen met with, or not Cohen, uh, one of the Wilpons met with a bunch of the employees just to you know, kind of talk to him because the sell's looming over the team. So, uh, will he will he be the uh, will he be the richest guy in baseball? He would have to be, right? I mean, who who would even? I mean, the Do- well, the Dodgers have like eight thousand owners with. You know, yeah, Magic being one of them. The, the Mariners were owned by the Japanese. Was it Nintendo? But the owner he died, so I don't, I don't, I don't know what's gone on there. He was, I mean, he was loaded. 
Well, I think they've changed. I think that's changed. I don't think Nintendo owns them anymore. I mean, if you start looking around, this guy may come rolling in being the richest guy in baseball. Uh, well, it says here from a Google search side, this randomly did. It says that Ted Lerner is the, is the richest. He's worth has a net worth of four point eight billion dollars. Oh, this guy, this guy, this guy's like this guy's north of six billion. Let's see, Steve Cohen. Like this dude's loaded. Cohen. They're all loaded, but this guy's loaded. As of February twenty twenty, he has an estimated net worth of just take a guess. I think it's six something. No, six something billion. No. Oh, it's even. kind of close. <laughs> you could almost, uh, you can almost uh, t- uh, two and a half times that. It's fourteen point one billion dollars. <laughs> the Mets better be signing free agents if he goes there. I don't care. Throw all your 14, money at Real Muto. Fourteen billion dollars. Get Jacob Degrom someone to play with. <laughs> this purchase of the Mets is tip money for this guy. He's going to be. By far the wealthiest owner. Like, it's not even close. Well, hopefully the Mets can put together a competitive product to help our guy, the polar bear, and my guy, potential three-time Cy Young winner. Bad contracts. I'm telling you, we've lived this. (laughs) Long-term bad contracts are not good. Steve, call me. You need some help. Commander and I, we we love the A's, but if – I couldn't live in New York. Too close to my parents in Pennsylvania. I'll pass. New York, New York's like Vegas for me. You go for a few days, it's great, and then get get out. You got to get out. Uh, fourteen billion dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of money. That's I mean that's not that's like like, but once again, people aren't taking their family wealth and spending it on players. Well, we'll see what he does. But if he gets. I wonder how many guys in baseball are like, we sure we want to let this guy in? All right, our next show is going to be on Thursday. We will know on our next show, Commander, who is the World Series champion, one of the great World Series champions of all time. And I'm going to say that and continue to say that. Because whoever wins this with everything they've been through, it's a heart of a champion. There's no question about it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We're going to send you – actually, we're going to replay the show, right? That is correct, yes. And we will be back on Thursday from 1 to 4. So enjoy A's cast, and we'll see you on Thursday. Be safe, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.